Okay, something went wrong because there was no audio on that video at all. I just heard like this tick. So I'm hoping I, that people like heard that. Okay, can they hear us now? What's yeah, <laughs> it's working now. <laughs> okay, I don't know what happened. Okay. Anyway, welcome to another Dragonlance Saga Creator episode, everyone. My name is Adam, and today I'm joining... I'm being joined by the talented artist illustrator, Mike Perry. Now he has over 20 years as a professional career in the industry and he's currently working as a storyboard artist in advertising as well as a freelance concept and character artist in the video game and film industries. And you can find links to his work in the description of this video below. I would like just to take a brief moment and thank the members of this channel and invite you to consider becoming a member uh, if you're not already. And of course, uh, you can pick up Dragonlance Gaming Materials by using the affiliate links. Now. Thank you, Mike, so much for joining me. How you doing, man? Glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Okay. Uh, again, I apologize about any technical uh, hiccups here that we had at the very beginning, but we were just chit-chatting, you know, having a good conversation before we started going live, and so maybe that's what it was. It was it was uh, my computer saying, no, 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 we have more stuff to talk about. Let's forget the images. Let's forget the video. Let's just focus on the conversation. So let's let's get into it. Now, this is, again, the first time that you and I are meeting, but we both share a passion of family, wilderness space, and of course, Dragonlance. So, and you're an artist. I'm in advertising, a uh, graphic designer. So we have a shared artistic background, just different avenues of it. Let's start with that. What was it that sort of put you in that trajectory of, of artist? Larry Elmore's covers from Dragonlance, ah. right there. You know, I, uh, I mean, I was always interested in art, comic books, that sort of thing as a kid. Uh, but I started reading Dragonlance when I was probably in the fifth grade fourth, fifth grade, I can't remember, uh, elementary school. And the cover of, you know, the first Chronicles, uh, Dragon's Bottom, Twilight, just caught me. And from there on, pretty much, I, I remember all throughout junior high school, I was just co like copying Dragonlance covers and art. And I have the like the art of Dragonlance book here still, this yeah. the dog-eared copy from when I was a kid. That's cool. And that was it, man. That, that got me into and started me down my career path. I used to, in art class, I would take the Autumn Twilight book in and they had those sort of chapter heading illustrations. I mm -hmm. think it was like um, Bavaise or someone uh, did those. They were just great. They just filled me with like tons of uh, excitement just looking at the chapter heading. And so I'd recreate those in art class and do watercolors. And my friends would buy them and stuff. Like it's, it's a genuinely, I, I think even more than the story of getting someone into playing Dungeons and Dragons, the art inspired more than the actual writing, I think, in most cases. Please. I agree. I agree completely. It, and for me, like I said, it started me on my career. And um, it really informed my imagination as I read the book. I mean, you could just, okay, Sturm's doing something. And you look at the cover, and that's him. That's what he looks like. And then you would follow along. And, you know, you could – sometimes you'd expand on it, sometimes not. Right now, I'm reading The Chronicles with my youngest daughter, who's yeah. nine. And – we're having a great time, although she keeps falling asleep while we're reading, but we're having a great time. And it, it really inspires me to, you know, she's going through it for the first time and she's hooked and she loves it. And she has all these ideas about what the characters look like. And she did a little drawing of um, the, the uh, I'm, I'm losing the name here, the um, the capital city of the Quilonesty Elves. Um, oh, Quilonost. Quilonost. See, I'm blanking out because I'm on camera here. Nah, but she did this, this really neat drawing of the tower, um, the Tower of the Sun. Yeah. And uh, I was just blown away. It was so cool, and it just got me like I got to start drawing Dragonlance again. You know. So that's uh, that's you know uh, 
re reignited my passion for the franchise because I've been you know following it since I was you know since the 80s yeah. and I when I was a kid I bought every single thing I could get my hands on you know everything like the miniatures the the modules the That's books awesome. I all of that stuff so I'm I'm a big fan I'm a super fan <laughs> so when you're when you're reading it to your daughter does she have a favorite character yet she likes the girls she mm -hmm. likes gold moon uh, she that was her f favorite character from the first book, and now we're on the third book, and uh, it's mostly about Lorana. Yeah, and she hates Katara, and <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> and she keeps at she keeps interrupting us while we're reading. Like, why is she doing that? She's so mean. What does she do? You know, <laughs> I guess that's a good thing. That it means yeah. she has a good moral compass. Oh yeah, <laughs> like, good yeah, job, yeah. Dad, well, but yeah. <laughs> you know, it's, a... sometimes it's nice to be bad. Like Kitty Ara, yeah. Yeah, well, it, it's funny. Uh, I'm reading it again. I've read the Chronicles multiple times, but every time I read it, I get something else out of it. Yeah. And I'm looking at it, you know, it's been years, so I'm getting a fresh perspective. And for the female characters like Lorana, I never really thought of her as a princess mm. throughout the series. Uh, she was always Tannis's love interest, and then yep. she was the Golden General. But I don't think of her in her role as royalty, and so that's adding some interest to it for me. Like, like I said, you get something new out of every yeah. every time. And uh, she didn't care for Alhanna Starbreeze at all. Oh, wow. <laughs> Why is she not? Like, because she's so cold and kind yeah. of distant and not very nice. And there's not a lot of um, they don't flesh her character out very mm -hmm. much in the books. So, uh, yeah, yeah, not until mm -hmm. geez, after the, the fifth age, do they even bother with giving mm -hmm. her some sort of contextual personality which i thought was really really weird because she's like she meets up with the companions in tarsus to try to get someone it doesn't even matter mm -hmm. who just someone mm -hmm. to help her mm -hmm. liberate uh her her forest uh, you know sylvanesty her homeland but i don't know maybe send your most charismatic person <laughs> you know, <at> least. <laughs> i think she was the only one to send you know <laughs> I, I, that must have been how it played out I, I like thinking about this stuff, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, I stay up at night thinking about, well, you know, what is the uh, commerce? How did that work in Tarsus? Yeah. And where did people come from? And what do they trade? Like, I think of these things as a concept artist. You're, you train your brain to think of everything, and it helps mm -hmm. inform your work. But, um, yeah, I don't – I like you said, the fifth age. I have not read any of that stuff. I kind of – I'm I, I read, you know, the legends and the tales and the preludes, and I've read all of that kind of stuff. I love, you know, books like the Legend of Huma, the Heroes series, but and then I kind of just maxed out. Yeah. That was where I drew the line. And when they they started releasing new, you know, the newer iterations of the story, I just I kind of I didn't want to go there. I didn't mm -hmm. want, not that it, like I I don't have any exposure to it. I kind of kept it minimum. Yeah. You know, I like what I like and I'm going to stay in that zone. <laughs> so I would like to know more about it, but I think it would be a, I'd end up with a library of books about this high yeah. <laughs> of all the different stories. I just fall down that rabbit hole. There's yeah. It's in, it's an insane amount of books that they have just set mm -hmm. in the setting, but that, I think that's the strength of Dragonlance really as an IP mm -hmm. is that you have these sort of defined eras that if mm -hmm. you just connect with that particular era, you really don't have to go beyond it. You can just stay in this one space. And there mm -hmm. is just tons of stories. And, you know, to your point about um, as a concept designer, you have to sort of understand the world that you're sort of concepting. Um, mm -hmm. I'm just extrapolating a little bit there. But the idea of 
context to why characters look and act the way they do is something that is so integral to Dragonlance, I think arguably over any other setting. Because you do mm-hmm. have a character like Lorana, who, as you had mentioned, is a princess, but she's never really treated like one because, you know, she's initially presented as a spoiled brat. And then she mm-hmm. develops into this well-rounded, not human, but <laughs> well-rounded woman mm-hmm. who mm-hmm. then has compassion for others other than her own race, which is something, again, very rare, not just in Dragonlance as a whole, which it is, but then more specifically in the Quality Elves and then even more in royalty. And then mm-hmm. she's given this position of authority over other soldiers, other human soldiers, which is unheard of, especially mm-hmm. as Salamnic Knights. Like that is a, that's a sexist organization. If there ever has been one, no mm-hmm. woman can get close mm-hmm. to it. And then even mm-hmm. beyond women, no man that's not of Salamnic like lineage can be a knight and, you mm-hmm. know, until later years. And so it, it just shows you how, uh, impactful that character of Lorana was to someone like Gunther Ruth Wistan to then allow him to then give her that position of golden general to mm-hmm. showcase her strengths. Like that's the foresight that he had. And then, you know, it's those ideas about why was she able to get to that place and no one, no other character was. And then you sort of delve into the contextual backstory of, you know, the development of royalty in Quilinesty and it becomes this huge sort of rabbit hole of of world building that had already been done for us to then follow but if you just want to read these books on a surface level then it's just a nice fantasy story but if you Mm -hmm. really want to dig into them it's there like it's all Mm -hmm. there for you to go and that's what I love so much about it well throughout the books they just she's Lorana daughter of the speaker of the sun and then now if people refer to her like the Wikipedia Lorana Canaan I don't know how do you pronounce it Canaan Canaan however you you like I say Canaan you know I I that's that's how the stories of you know more has been added to the story they fleshed out her character even more and I I love that I think Mm -hmm. that's great and uh you know uh, it's nice being a super fan and having that material to dig into and uh what can I say? I'm I'm just nerding out. This is great talking about Dragonlance right now. <laughs> I could We're going to get back day. to you and your career in just a second. I want to sure, sure. tie into one more little uh, canon thing. It mm. always bugged me when mm-hmm. Portheos took them to the Slamori and mm-hmm. Kith Cannon's corpse was just like sitting in a throne. Yeah. That's literally his like ancestor, mm-hmm. Portheos's ancestor. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. arguably, technically, it's Tannis's ancestor too through his mom's marriage to to Portheos's dad's brother, but that's a mm-hmm. weird family relationship. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But like if, if Kip Cannon was going to give the sword to someone, anyone, which again, a mm-hmm. skeleton giving someone a sword is a weird thing. Um, mm-hmm. Wouldn't it be, have been Portheos or, or I'm sorry, not Portheos, but um, um, Giltanus. Giltanus. Thank you. Yeah. Wouldn't it have been him? <laughs> like he's the direct descendant. I, I don't know. Well, and why is there a giant slug guarding Kithkinan's <laughs> tomb, you know? And why would the elves have uh, undead soldiers wandering around guarding the place? You yeah. know, because it doesn't sound very elvish to me. Yeah. Um, the Chronicles <laughs> are weird because, and you, I've watched interviews later, and, you know, you read about the development of the IP. Mm-hmm. I think they were figuring it out as they were going along. And oh, yeah. it sounds like the development process was just for uh, Weiss and Hickman to write was really short mm-hmm. and they probably they're combining elements from the game they're com- you know they're just riffing and making it happen quickly so that's probably mm-hmm. one of those moments that kind of slipped through the cracks and uh you know for guys like us like well that doesn't make sense I wonder why would they do that <laughs> and you know they have what did they have inside the tomb there they had like banshees or 
there were elven women who were trapped in there and they you know they had to Raslin had to use his magic to kind of hold them at bay as they went excuse me as they went through or was it no gold moon i just read it like a month ago yeah, I, <laughs> but I mean, you know what i'm talking yeah, about it's right? so yeah. crazy with the, mm -hmm. the the situations i mean ultimately you know they wanted to do a dungeon crawl and flesh that mm -hmm. out and so they had to throw mm -hmm. like random monsters in there and stuff but mm -hmm. i don't know i'm that, again you know i'm like yeah i love talking about it and just sort of dissecting mm -hmm. it um let's let's steer back to you here because sure sure you are an incredibly talented artist and thank you when i saw mm -hmm. your work mm -hmm. i was i was a little bit blown away because it's like how would you describe your style? Because I would describe it as like hyper realism, like it's it's fantasy, but the way you produce these. And let's let's show the people what I'm talking about here. Um, okay, well, this is a non-color one, but you'll see it here in a second. But the the style, it just it feels like it's a portrait of a person, but stylized rather than an illustration of a character. And that's that's why I say it's sort of like this this hyper reality. How would you describe your style? Uh, fantastic realism, maybe. Mm -hmm. um, I've never I've never really put a label on it, to be honest, uh, because when you're working on it, you're just focused. Uh, yeah. I really enjoy realism, and I, I've always been. Um, I love the idea of bringing something to life in a way that is believable, right? And with our these characters and all these beloved IPs that we grew up with in the 80s, it's like, what would He-Man look like as a real person? You know, that idea was always in my head as a kid, Dolph right? Lundgren is what he looks like. Yeah, well, he didn't, he didn't look too bad, you know? I don't know about the mullet, famous. but... Yeah. Uh, <laughs> that was so great. <laughs> yeah. They didn't do a great job on Skeletor. The actor did a good job, but the mm -hmm. look, you know, they couldn't pull it off. Uh, and that gold mask, I don't know what they were thinking. But yeah, um, yeah to get back to it, I, I just enjoy trying to visualize things. And as a, an artist, um, I mean, I'm a trained painter, a fine artist. So I really enjoy the challenge to be able to make something look real believable. And uh, it just takes more time and energy and every piece is a learning yeah. process and um i that's what keeps me motivated that's what keeps me doing this because it's a lot of hours of rendering but it just seems to fly by and i just i love it you know um did that answer the question yeah i i, yeah. I want to as i like mm -hmm. because there's mm -hmm. there's it's one thing you have raw talent as a young man mm -hmm. and you, you're, you're sort of you know exploring your your artistic sensibilities it's one thing to look at fantasy novels and their covers be inspired by the art and stuff and it's another thing entirely to make that your profession. Um, mm -hmm. Were your parents really supportive of you exploring that aspect? Um, my parents were supportive. They are supportive, but they never understood. I mean, uh, my mom's a nurse, my dad's an electrician. They're very, you know, they understand those worlds, right? Mm -hmm. And, you know, say, I want to be an artist. Oh, are you going to eat? How are you, gonna, you know, how's that going to work? And oh, they're like, he'll grow out of it. He'll get a real job. And, uh, you know, um, it's like I said, by the time I was in the seventh or eighth grade, that's all I wanted to do was draw. I drew all the time. When I wasn't drawing, I was painting Dragonlance miniatures. When uh, I wasn't doing that, I was, I was making, I actually built out of wood, like uh, Flint Fireforge's axe. And I built, oh. you know, I built all this stuff, right? And um, made costumes and props, and I was just totally involved in the world. And and then I, after Dragonlance, I went into other things, and I just it sparks my imagination. And then I want to bring my imagination to reality. And so I start drawing these things, and you want to get better, and it just goes from there. And then I want to make a living at it, just like 
the guys who uh, did all the art for TSR back in the day. And that's what started me on my path. And my parents, they just saw that I was working hard and I was happy and they didn't understand how I could make a go of it. Mm. But, um, and it wasn't, it took a long time. Like it's not, it's not a well-traveled path and there's not a lot of defined milestones and trajectories, especially like I'm in my mid forties. So the internet was just in its infancy when I was starting my career. So yeah. even getting like when I was submitting to companies, you'd have to put together a mail in portfolio and mail it. And then hopefully maybe you'll get a response. And, uh, I lived in a city that didn't have much of an arts industry at all. So that kept me, I think that kept me back mm -hmm. and it was harder for me to get work. So I was taking odd jobs. I've done like architectural illustration and, uh, yeah. I don't know, you, you name it, just whatever I could get my hands on. Yeah. So the more you do, I, I don't know, I guess I, like I would say my parents, they, they saw I was working, I was able to find work, make work. And, uh, now, I mean, they're just, he's a working artist and mm -hmm. you know, that's, that's how it went. That's great. I think mm -hmm. the, the hardest part for me as a parent is having faith that the decisions that my children make are actually mm -hmm. good for them, you know, cause you know, as every mm -hmm. parent, you, you think this, I don't want to project here. I think mm -hmm. this is probably the most challenging thing I've done emotionally is being a father. It's, it's very, mm -hmm. very difficult for me. Um, mm -hmm. And to then extrapolate that out saying, okay, the decisions that you make as a child, my child uh, are going to be the right ones after the struggle that I went through as a young man, my immediate mm -hmm. go-to is, no, you have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> you don't know the real world. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so, yeah. you know, if they came up and they said, oh, I want to be a, I want to be a hairdresser. I'm like, well, what do you hate money? Like, you're mm -hmm. not going to be able to live as a hairdresser. Mm -hmm. You're going to be scraping by with rent. But, mm -hmm. you know, so I can only imagine, I mean, I'm, I'm in the arts industry, so I know that there is an industry there. But if I weren't, mm -hmm. I would definitely mm -hmm. imagine that being a difficult thing for them to sort of rationalize. Like, you want to, you want to make pictures for a living? Mm -hmm. Like, what? Mm -hmm. <laughs> we heard those stories about those fine artists. They cut their ears off mm -hmm. and they'd live destitute. Like, is that what yeah, you're looking yeah. for? <laughs> I don't think they still really understand it or believe it. <laughs> and I, whenever I talk to them about He's it, really a I, just dealer. <laughs> I just explain to it, it's work, you yeah. know? And when I, it's, it's been helpful. I mean, now that I'm in advertising more, there's a product at the end of the line. So I can, there's a commercial for Tide. And I said, well, I did that. Here's the storyboards and here's the animatic. And then they can kind of put two and two together, which is great. But uh, I hear you, um, like my eldest daughter, she just wants to draw characters all day. She loves drawing and That's they cool. both draw all the time. And so I'm trying to, I mean, I still have that conditioning my parents, like, you got to support yourself and you got to be responsible. And what are you going <laughs> to yeah. do with your life? And, yeah. but at the same time, I'm trying to balance that out and uh, encourage them more than I was and support yeah. them. And I'm in a position where I can help them and train them. And, you know, when my daughter gets a little older, you know, I can take her on more like an apprentice and really show her the ropes. And for example, like one of the storyboard agencies I work with, there's another artist whose teenage daughter started working for them just her dad showed her the way and then she just went wow. straight out of high school into the industry. So, you know, that's, that's a viable path. Like you said, it's mm -hmm. just, uh, I don't know. Uh, I, I'll just try to help them as best I can and 
Yeah. We'll see where it goes. I want them to be happy regardless. Yeah. And, uh, but I do want them to be successful. I don't want them to struggle. And, mm. uh, they see as a freelancer, you know, there's, there's good months and bad months. And, um, I, maybe they're getting a good understanding of that and hopefully it'll help them in their career, yeah. whatever they choose. Yeah. I think probably the best advice I ever got mm -hmm. was from one of my instructors who in college, and he was telling me that, um, oh, he was telling the class, the idea of happiness is, is, um, conflated with money mm -hmm. a little bit too mm -hmm. much, you know, like lifestyle, you know, we, we look at people with such great riches and we think, well, they mm -hmm. must be happy. And generally the truth is the opposite is that they're, they're mm -hmm. never around to enjoy the, the money that they're earning and they're constantly busy and stressed out. And there's like mm -hmm. this sort of social median amount of money that you can make where you're not working too much so you can enjoy the money that you're making, but you're not making too little in order to then, you know, not worry about money, not constantly keep an eye on your balance in your bank account, for example. And happiness is defined as living within your means. So no matter mm -hmm. what income you're making at any given time, as long as you're living in your means and you're mm -hmm. able to, to break out of the profession side, that's where you can actually find happiness. And so I've always tried, no matter where my career has taken me, to try to keep that in the forefront of my mind, like living in your means, don't go into massive debt, find, you know, buy a home that you're going to be able to afford if you lose your job or you, you can't, mm -hmm. you know, live for, you know, if you can't work for a couple of weeks because of an injury or something like, like make sure that you're going to be okay if shit hits the fan, you know, if you have these mm -hmm. massive mm -hmm. medical bills, because then mm -hmm. you're not worrying about how you're going to survive. You're just enjoying surviving you know you're enjoying mm -hmm. the the ride so that's like what i'm gonna be you know trying to impart to my kids like don't worry about what the joneses are doing down the street don't be chasing mm -hmm. their lifestyle don't look at social media i don't even let my kids on social media at all but smart don't you know don't look at social media <laughs> posts and mm -hmm. think that that is an ideal to as aspire mm -hmm. to think about mm -hmm. what you believe would make you happy and work toward that and then find joy in the process that's the mm -hmm. important part. Being a parent sucks, man. It's so hard. And you're constantly second guessing yourself. And... Mm -hmm. It's ah. a tough job. It's a lot of work and, and you never really get a day off and you just care so much. That's and the worst uh, part. <laughs> yeah, you I care. Wish I could be indifferent. I can't. Oh man, I'm, I'm hundred percent on the same page. And for me, I just try to model those values that you're, you were describing, yeah. you know, be responsible, try to not get too high, not get too low, roll with it. And, um, you know, celebrate your successes and also, you know, uh, try not to get too down when you have failures and try to, you know, I don't know, like when I think of when my parents, what they modeled, I try to take the good from that and yeah. build on it and try to transfer that to my kids. And, you know, they're, they're young, but they're around me enough that they'll, I think it'll rub off because it seems that's how it worked for me. Mm -hmm. I, you know, the elders in my life, uh, those types of lessons about being responsible fiscally and living within your means and trying to, you know, just be a good person and make wise decisions. Um, I just, I, I learned that from them kind of by osmosis, not because I wanted to listen to them and yeah. absorb it. I just sort of picked it up and, um, you know, uh, yeah. Yeah. I think that's great. Um, mm -hmm. I want to put a pin in the idea of success here because I want to explore mm -hmm. that just one more second, but I want to mm -hmm. give a shout out to the people in chat. First of all, Aaron, welcome to the channel. Thank you so much for uh, becoming a member. Chris, it's always great to see you. Thanks for tuning in. Horrific podcast. You guys are awesome. Thanks for tuning in. I really appreciate you. Benjamin, what's happening? Thanks for tuning in. Uh, Goldman, good to see you. Really appreciate you. 
All right. So there's a question here from uh, Chris. What is your favorite, your favorite Dragonlance character? And then your favorite you know, one to paint. My favorite character, you know, I, I really liked Gilthinus mm -hmm. when I was uh, younger. Um, I liked his outfit. I, you know, yeah. dressed up as him for Halloween. I oh, just cool. thought his outfit was super cool. And I, and then I just, I liked him. I thought he was really cool. I liked that he was a fighter mage. Yeah. Uh, I liked dual class characters when I played D and D and I just, I, I liked all that about him and uh, he was a pretty cool character. Uh, and my favorite to paint, I, I, I mean, I don't have one uh, right now. I'm going through the characters from DL six dragons of ice and I'm having a hard time painting Sturm and Lorana. So those are the hardest ones for me. Um, the one that? that came, the easiest was Flint. He was my first one that I really kind of got, was able to wrap my teeth around or, and just get wrap my head around, sorry. Um, I think characters like Sturm and Lorana, I care about them. They're oh. very integral characters. And uh, Sturm, all that armor. Armor is a real pain. And especially because you know, they're in a, a you know, Arctic setting. Yep. It's basically a reflective silver suit. And, you know, it, to paint that dull reflection of that blue and gray right. and everything, it just dulls everything out and it doesn't look interesting. And mm. I'm really struggling with that. And uh, Lorana, um, trying to, like you, you showed earlier, one of my uh, concept images of her outfit. What is she wearing in yeah. this module, right? And I've been really struggling with, her look you know and i'm thinking about her and i'm thinking about things like elves ears you know uh what do the elves ears look like in dragonlance like what do you think they look like do you big long pointy ones from warcraft or just small ones like in the elmore versions oh, or i hope they're how, long like, ones like warcraft. <laughs> well you know it's a personal preference and, yeah. and as the artist i get to pick that mm -hmm. but um these things i'm stuck on so let me know what yeah. do you think how, how do you from Lorana? You? I would, I mean, just mm -hmm. elves in general in Dragonlance. I would always go with. Mm -hmm. I mean, first of all, when you're talking Dragonlance, you have to go back to the original artists because you know they were mm -hmm. so great about whoever mm -hmm. painted the character first. That's mm -hmm. what the character always looks like moving forward, and so they're mm -hmm. great with sort of maintaining the integrity of a character's look, unless mm -hmm. it's Goldmoon Pants. But other than Goldmoon mm -hmm. Pants, <laughs> it's pretty good. Um, yeah. But like. It's got to be that short sort of, you know, that, that little tip in my opinion, you know, like mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I, I think of elves as um, like a gymnast human, you know, they're mm -hmm. just a little thinner, a little more lithe and just mm -hmm. little pointy ears. And, and that's kind of it. Okay. Okay. I, uh, I see that more the same, you know, I, I there's a lot of fan, like Lord of the Rings when they gave all the dwarves pointy ears that blue, I'm like, no, that's weird. No, elves have pointy ears. Dwarves don't have pointy ears. <laughs> And uh, I don't think I ever noticed that. Yeah, they do. If you watch the oh, Hobbit that's gonna series, going to drive me they, nuts. Yeah, no, they have pointy ears, but they're shaped differently, right? <laughs> and Kender have pointy ears, and are the mm. ears different? And what do gnomes' ears look like? I, uh, you know, I'll sit down, I'll take an idea like that, and I'll draw, you know, oh, a whole page of ears. Just what does this look like? I don't know. Whatever. <laughs> and and because I'm doing this project for fun, yeah, I can take as much time as I want. I can do mm. whatever. And normally when I'm working, I've got deadlines. I've got you know, people, we need this yesterday, let's go. And it's like you, working in advertising is very deadline oriented. It's very busy. So uh, this is like 
um, when I'm doing the Dragonland stuff for myself, it's just it's just pure fun. I'm just you know like you're looking here for some Frost Reaver ideas. Yeah. And it's just well, I want to see what what would Frost Reaver look like? Would it look like this? I'm not sure. Let's try yeah. this Do idea. Do you ever put up polls of which one people like respond to? Um. Uh, I do a little bit on my Instagram page, but I would welcome any feedback and thoughts. I love having conversations about Dragonlance yeah. and uh, ideas. Uh, I mean, let's go for it. Sure. Polls are great. I mean, in the Let bottom Let us know in the can... chat, which one of yeah. these do you prefer? What number of these Frost okay, Weavers sure. do you prefer? And we'll see what they say. So, yeah, I mean, um, I mean, you've alluded to the idea that you're working on this sort of Dragons of Ice uh, DL6 mm -hmm. project. Well, let's talk about that. What What is this? How did it come about? Um, the first module I got was DL6, Dragons of Ice. Um, <clears throat> I was, a, you know, probably around, I don't know, let's say 12. And I went, there was this, um, there was one main store in my town that had all the Dungeons and Dragons stuff. It was, if you guys are familiar with Forgotten Realms, remember uh, Elminster's Tower, how they would describe this tower, this old just full of books, you know, floor to ceiling books, wood. It had two door construction, a lot of wood everywhere. It was this great place and it smelled like old books and it was floor to ceiling Dungeons and Dragons. I love this place. Wow. And I went in there and I wanted, I mean, I was obsessed with Dragonlance. I wanted some Dragonlance stuff. And that was the module I picked up. They didn't have a DL one through three. Mm -hmm. Because this was later, so I, most of it was out of print by that point. Mm -hmm. And they had DL6. It was I picked up DL5, Dragons of Mystery, but that's not really a game. It's just, you know, uh, book, the information, yeah. the source book. And DL6, I just love the cover, you know. And being from Canada and, cover. you know, it was interesting. I mean, look, the, the dragons slashing the rigging on the, the that ice ship and Lorana's pointing at the dragon. And I'm sitting there like, yes, yes, you know, mm -hmm. I want this. This is the story for me. And uh, that's what that was the one that that got me, uh, it, you know that that was my first Dragonlance module and the one that uh, inspired me, and it still does to this day. And I was really bummed out when it wasn't in the books when mm -hmm. they didn't put it in in the books. I mean, later they did in the tales, but kinda and sorta. They they actually did flesh you know. it out in the um, the lost chronicles so there's a trilogy okay. of books called lost chronicles which are the books mm -hmm. in between the actual chronicles um to mm -hmm. sort of fill in the gaps that they had left and and it it's pretty interesting it's different than the tales story though like and, mm -hmm. and so that's this is the thing that you, everyone has to understand about Dragonlance is that it's not consistent <laughs> it's mm -hmm. never yeah. so whenever someone yeah. like starts yelling at you or like shaking their fist that you're you're saying you know your mm -hmm. version is wrong because you're recounting what you remember from a story you read or something it mm -hmm. always has changed every character's alteration has changed in everything it's mm -hmm. like it's like star wars where george mm -hmm. lucas's original ideas are completely shifted through the act of of writing and filming like mm -hmm. it's always like that and dragonlance is no different so mm -hmm. whenever they present a story just know that someone's probably in the future and it could even be the same authors they're going to mm -hmm. change it and it's going to like not be consistent you just kind of have mm -hmm. to accept it and move on and don't get like so that, upset though. when people are referencing older versions that they prefer versus the newer mm -hmm. version that you prefer. Just enjoy what you like. I like it like that because then it's more of a blank canvas. And mm -hmm. this is our fantasy, our, I'm enjoying it as a fan. And this yeah. is what I imagine. And I used to imagine myself in the module going on the adventure with them God, and awesome. it would happen differently. Right. Yeah. Uh, and uh, you know, I see things differently and you know, doesn't matter. We're all fans here. We can all have a good conversation and 
tell some fun stories. I feel bad. The sun's starting to set outside here, and my yeah, camera it's looks dark. like it's getting really dark. It's scary. I mean, I've got I'm a actually light not having a conversation me. with anyone. I'm just talking to myself. Yeah. <laughs> Is that a little better? It's it's a little, it's a little extra light. Okay. Sorry, guys. Next time I'll get a better yeah, better light nice. set up going on. Yeah. I love how you drew Giltanis right here. It looks great. I don't like the face. I'm redoing that oh, right really? now. Yeah, I just I didn't want to didn't say want... anything, but no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> well, no, you kidding. know, uh, no, I uh, I didn't like that face, but I I wanted to update his outfit a little. I mm -hmm. wanted to give it. So when I'm doing this, so I guess you asked about this Dragonlance project I gave yeah, yeah. myself. Um, so my daughter's really inspired by Dragonlance, and and it got me inspired into doing some Dragonlance drawings of my own. And um, I've worked for several RPG companies, but I've never had an opportunity to work on this, my most beloved franchise. Mm -hmm. So um, I've, you know, during downtime between jobs, I'm just, I'm working on this stuff for fun for me. And I'm really having a great time. It's very, it's fun. And it, this is, when I was a kid, I used to do this stuff, but I didn't have the skill mm -hmm. to visualize it, to realize it. And now I can, and I am, and I'm just noodling around, taking my time and um, uh, just concept designing the product like the the module how i would do it for any other client job and uh seeing where it takes me and uh so that's that's what i'm working on right now so you know um designing different characters figuring out their outfits you know this is lorana so variations on how her armor would work i um my aesthetic i want to make them more realistic and uh you move like believable and try to flesh them out a bit more yeah. um so, uh, so, I mean, is there mm -hmm. like an end game in in planning phase here? I mean, are you going to release it as like a, a concept book of, of DL6? I mean, are you going to sort of like what, what's your plan after you've sort of landed on final versions of these characters and situations and stuff? Well, I mean, I don't own the rights to the IP. This is fan art. So mm -hmm. I couldn't make you know all you people listening with wizards i mean i'm not trying to make money off of you right, like, right, right. you know but uh i would love to contribute to the dragonlance lore uh mm -hmm. and uh, share my passion for the the ip with the rest of the community and um right now i'm tr you know here's the thing if you start the project with the end goal in mind so like i'm going to make a product and i'm going to sell it or trade it or i have a thing you it starts to influence your decisions and uh, mm -hmm. right now i'm just trying to maintain this creative energy and just keep it going and uh let it just enjoy the ride yeah because this is a passion project i love this and mm -hmm. in the end if it turns into something um there's lots of options uh you know it will and I'll I'll explore those ideas, and if other people have ideas, I'm I love talking about Dragon Lads, so yeah. bring it on. Um, but no, I don't have a, you know an art book I'm going to put out. I don't have a plan for one yet. But if you think that idea has merit, then you know, let's talk. That's great. I definitely think it has merit. Yeah. I, I think it would mm -hmm. be a fantastic exploration of mm -hmm. of not I'm like Larry Elmore did this wonderful job of of working out how. Like the the skiffs work on the ice, mm -hmm. uh, the mm -hmm. the the planes. Uh, oh my gosh, ice reach! Uh, mm -hmm. How they would sail across the ice and stuff. I, he had like tons of different concept designs. He worked out how the dragonlance fit in the saddle and and how mm -hmm. it actually maneuvered mm -hmm. in the saddle and how the knight would sit behind it and hold it and use it. Like he has mm -hmm. tons of these little concept sketches out that they released. Of course, you have Art of the Dragonlance, mm -hmm. so you know. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. You know, and they release it in this sort of collection. Right now, Wizards of the Coast has sort of opened up. Um, the DMs Guild website, dmsguild.com, I think it is, and you can actually create your own 
you know, uh, I don't know if it's short stories, but you can create your own modules and create your own sort of uh, Dungeons and Dragons accessories in Dragonlance. They take a piece of the profits. You get a piece of the profits um, hmm. because you're using their IP. I think this would be a great extrapolation of that. And there's other artists who are doing um, creative work for, you know, other companies, other third-party companies that are creating uh, modules or source books in Dragonlance mm -hmm. and selling them. They're just creating mm -hmm. the art form and they're getting paid just for the individual art pieces. So that's mm -hmm. another way that you could do it. I would, I mean, if, if anyone from Watson is ever watching this, definitely give this man an opportunity. I mean, you know, if, if mm -hmm. you want to talk about raising the bar of Dragonlance artwork, I mean, I think your work is the perfect avenue to sort of take. It's it's a completely different aesthetic approach than what's been taken thus far. Um, but it has this sort of realistic sensibility that you've clearly alluded that you're going for that has never really been seen and is an exciting way of exploring Dragonlance. And it's it's that bridge, the way I'm looking at it, it's that bridge between the novels slash modules and an actual film or a series, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know, I mean, it's yep. that great sort of midway point between real on screen action and just enjoying it as a fan in fiction. Mm -hmm. Well, that is exactly what I'm going for is a, uh, how I would concept design for, you know, a triple A game, mm -hmm. you know, uh, like we were talking about the last of us earlier, but that's sort of level, you know, uh, a cinematic, you know, film game combine, you know, the modules and the the novels and maintain that aesthetic, the original aesthetic, the Larry Elmore aesthetic, the that sort of thing. I don't. I like fantasy, Dungeons and Dragons fantasy from the eighties. I mm -hmm. like that aesthetic. Uh, it's more believable. Um, I don't like seeing people with swords that are eight feet long <laughs> swinging right. around one-handed. You know, elves with ears that are you know extending up to the moon. I, I, you know, I, I don't. That's not for me. That's not yeah. my personal taste. I want to see, you, you know, I, uh, something that I feel like I could be in that world and real physics applied. And mm -hmm. um, uh, you know, uh, that's where I'm going with. But yeah, I would. I would welcome, I'd love to work with anybody on Dragonlance or any of these other projects. I'm a freelancer. I'm always available for work. So hit me up and well, let's talk. Before we get anywhere else mm -hmm. in this, what's the mm -hmm. best avenue of contact for you if someone is interested? Well, I mean, you, you posted up my uh, my website, my art station, mm -hmm. and oh, email works, mike at mikeperryart.com. I'm also on Instagram at mikeperryart. Um, and those are really the two great ways to get a hold of me. And uh, we can start talking from there. Well, you also offered the idea of of sort of working on a, a live piece as mm -hmm, we're mm -hmm. sort of having this conversation. Do you want to yeah, sure. and do that? Sure. I will share my screen. Awesome. Let's see if we can get this working. So everyone here, just bear with us. Uh, we're going to see some uh, live art here in just one second. So you let me know if you, when you can see my screen, because I'm yeah, just spoke. I can only I can see, see my it. screen. You can? Yeah. Okay. So we're talking about DL6, Dragons of Ice. Mm -hmm. This image here is the only image from my time of Philfast, the Dragon High Lord. And he doesn't look like a Dragon High Lord at all. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's a wonderful illustration, but I mean, he looks like this weird old golemy guy with a beard and a sharp knife. Like, I'm not scared of this guy he at all. He reminds me of the lead it, singer of Anthrax. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah, it's such a shame, right? It's It's not a real great 
image of FeelFast. So what I was thinking we could do is I could describe my concept process and then you can act as art director and sort of art direct me as we start to work out his uh, his look, his costume, oh, wow. that sort of thing. Right. So it'll be a bit of a collaborative and uh, we'll have some fun. So what do you think? Well, first of all, Fieldhouse is an elf. He's a dark elf. Mm -hmm. He was cast out of Sylvanesty. Um, so mm -hmm. he needs to look like an elf, right? So he's well, not an well, aged old wizard, but an actual elf. Exactly. So I'll show you what I've got going on so far. Um, when I do concept art or characters, I like oh, to wow. start with their, their faces. I like to look at their portrait. And yeah. quite often I go with uh, a well-known, a celebrity. Yes. It, help, it helps inform things, right? Yes. And also it's that nerd, let's fan cast these people. So um, I'm looking at people from the period, the early 80s, when the novels were written. Great. And I'm trying to think of what could Filthass look like? He's a high lord. He's a wizard. He's, you know, he's, he, he's got that 80s aesthetic, but he's still evil. And he's really evil. And, uh, you know, so this is my a run of eight different portraits. I was thinking, you know, experimenting with hair, ear shape likenesses so mm -hmm. um what do you what do you think this is what we got so far i mean i'm gravitating to one or two but i don't want it mm -hmm. to be too green goblin -y. okay okay green well that's the problem because that's those are willem dafoe yeah that's who i was yeah. thinking and if you've seen willem dafoe from the early 80s he really has that gaunt look and there's mm -hmm. there's a movie he was in where he had this it was like a 80s street biker kind of thing and he he looks really skinny and scary and he's yeah. the villain in that movie so uh i thought that would be a perfect look for him and then um i like number six too i think that's great mm -hmm. so well, no i'm sorry seven not the not six six and seven well so get this these are all bono you know from you too oh, <laughs> from, yeah. from the early 80s yeah and uh, he if you look at pictures of him he has this sort of arrogant vanity look it's really just as soon as i was like i hit on it i'm like that looks like phil fast to me like a really arrogant vain cruel like it, i could see him act like that face mm -hmm. or a variation of it like i could build on that right so that's sort mm -hmm. of where i was going i started to go through this process and then i ended up with you know okay i kind of like bono and now here's some different hairstyles you know or variations of 80s mullets yeah <laughs> so yeah. So, uh, I, God, I got yeah, for, for me, I got to go number two or number seven. Those are my two, two favorite. I think number seven is great because one thing uh, about Field Thaz that was really extrapolated on in the Dragons of High Lord Skies from the Lost Chronicles was uh -huh. that he was calculating. He, uh -huh. he used his, like, he took his time to set up situations and like he was working actively against Kitiara. He was, you know, trying to maintain control of his, uh, of course, all the high lords are sort of jockeying for position in Erica's eyes. And so, you know, of course mm -hmm. he's doing that, but I always, you know, he is an elf. And if you're going mm -hmm. to be persuasive, if you're going to be manipulative, you have to either look the part or play the part. And for some mm -hmm. reason from Dragons of High Lord Skies, I saw him as both. I thought he, he has to be good looking and he has to be really persuasive and intellectual. I think number seven does that really well. Number two mm -hmm. reminds me of a sort of, you know, a sort of uh, vile, evil type character. Mm -hmm. I don't really see that as, as him necessarily, because mm -hmm. he's more interested in just exploring his own experiments, being outcast in Ice Wall. You know, mm -hmm. he's mm -hmm. not so much like in Sanction or or in Naraka. You know, working with the uh, the political machinations as much. You know, he wants to just mm -hmm. be left alone until Kitty Yara starts you know, flexing her muscles. 
Okay. So, I don't know. Well, so which one were you page. like 100? percent I kind of like I like seven as well. I think that one really. It, I I think we're we're in sync here. So, mm -hmm. um, I went with that one <clears> or <throat> a variation of it. And then so my next step step would be uh, preliminaries. And so here's just some preliminary drawings on mm -hmm. the left. You know, like what would he look like just walking around ice wall? He's, you know, kind of playing around with outfit. It's cold. He's wearing some robes, but he's an elf lord, right. or he thinks himself of himself as an elf. And then on the right, I'm kind of playing around. Before you do any real working out costume, you always want to work out the anatomy first. That's what so, I do too. That's great. Yeah, there you go. So I got all his anatomy going here on the right. And then... I mean, Kendall, but yeah. <laughs> well, it's a PG-13 sort of, show. So yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, you know, the anatomy's not drawn in. It's just yeah. hinted here, right? <laughs> so this is a PG-13 We're not going full Clive Barker here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so I went with that that likeness that you like, number seven, or yeah. a variation of that. And then this is sort of a pose I like, just static. You know, perhaps he's holding a dragon orb in his hand, nice. and he's got his sword. And so now this is where we get to start concepting his outfit what is he wearing what is he what how would we how would you imagine him and i did some armor reference here or i gathered some oh that's cool. because I, I you know i'm thinking about him and his you know the way he well in the in the book so i've got you know dl6 right here and they have him wearing uh you know it says a chainmail plus two but it's white or it's black gleaming black armor and a shield and none of the dragon high lords wear chain mail, yeah. right? And they seem to be wearing some kind of scale mail made from uh, dragon scales or faux dragon scales. Right. And he's a white dragon high lord. Why wouldn't he be wearing white? You know, but Verminard's wearing black. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> but the, I like how some of these on the right you can see here. Um, some you know, just the way these pieces of scale overlap, almost like skin, mm -hmm. and how they move over the hands. Um, and on the left, you can see these are references to actual illustrations of Dragon High Lord armor. Yeah. So that's where my ideas start. And now this is where you come in. I mean, what are you thinking? What would he be wearing? A plate, boots, you know, like this is where and maybe some of the, the people watching might have some ideas as well that they want to kick in. And we can just start. This is this is a blank canvas here. Let's just start throwing out some ideas. Yeah. Well, in the chat, mm -hmm. let us know your thoughts on this. What do you mm -hmm. think Phil Faz looked like? So let's examine mm -hmm. the character because he was mm -hmm. a wizard. At least he mm -hmm. was a wizard in uh, High Lord Skies. I don't I don't recall like mm -hmm. looking at his stats in in DL six to be honest. Mm -hmm. um, and so the idea of of robes for wizards, and not to mention also just loose fitting mm -hmm. clothing in elves mm -hmm. in general, is just in my head sort of a natural mm -hmm. thing. So mm -hmm. if he was wearing scale mail, I mean, I don't know if it's maybe a scale mail robe, you know, like layers mm -hmm. and maybe Ooh, stitched together well, with a belt or something. So it's a little mixture between the two. Or if he's got a le layer of, of scale mail underneath his robes, I do like the idea of having a sort of like an enclosure, like he could easily take the outer garment off and just mm -hmm. have whatever underneath. Well, I'm thinking, you know, I've seen some really interesting scale mail where, you know, he, he's wearing his robes, right? But then it almost acts like a chainmail type shirt, right? Mm -hmm. So I'm just kind of roughing it in yeah. as we go. But then, you know, you have your belt line and then this whole area here is scales. Yeah. Right? So it's, you know, he has a skirt. Yeah, you got to protect, the, <laughs> you know, the lower area, but he still has the robes, the robes of the black, yeah. you know? And, you know, would he, you know, he's a fighter mage, so he's not going to, he's going to want to move. He's, he, you know, robes get in the way mm -hmm. and uh, it's cold. So I'm thinking he would probably wear some kind of glove, 
you know, would he have That'd long gloves, short gloves? Um, you know, this is this is yeah. what we're doing, and we can do as many variations as we have time. Uh, you know, this is this is like a paper doll exercise. Yeah. And uh, you know, you look at the other. Do the high lords all have capes? Would he have a cape? You know, uh, he's hanging out in an ice wall. I mean, you look we at Verminar's like, cape right there. That's yeah. straight up like a Thanoi fur or like a polar bear fur. Yeah, yeah. Like, think, would he look pretty cool? Like, almost like some sort of lion. Like, I find Verminar's cape. Look at that. Uh, so I'm going to turn the reference off just because, yeah. um, you know, it's a little clearer for everybody to watch. So Engine Joe says the... something interesting. Put a Thanoi mm -hmm. skull somewhere on his armor or belongings. A Thanoi. Oh, what if we took the, the Thanoi tusk? and made it like some kind of it could be like a shoulder piece you know like Ooh, yeah board. yeah well hmm there's so many ways we could go with it what if we did it like he had several fanoi tusks making a shoulder pad you know kind of strapped together like that right yeah, that'd, that'd be pretty cool i mean you could even go like, like claws or something like the walrus like the walrus tusks mm. are huge like these are monstrous mm -hmm. beings They're like mm -hmm. eight feet or something i mean a walrus mm -hmm. is monstrous so you could just mm -hmm. I don't know, having multiples together might be overkill just in weight and sort of mm -hmm. functionality. I do like mm -hmm. the idea that you started with just having them sort of draping down on the sides mm -hmm. over his chest. You know, mm -hmm. it's that's like a bold statement. Like, look, you're going to end up here if you don't do what I say. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. well, uh, let's, let's do another one, right? So maybe, I mean, do we want him to look too tribal, though? Like, there's that, you kind of fall down that line. Like, Dragon High Lords, right. they How still have that aesthetic, yeah. right? Yeah, like, so we can we're, we can just do as many variations as we want, right? But mm -hmm. I'm just going to duplicate this this layer here, and then um, move it over. Oh, and cool. so turn this off here. So we can just draw. I'm going to just draw right on top of it. Um, so Chris is saying he likes the scale mill a bit with some kind of fur for field thighs, maybe. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, there's, what if he had something like the fur, well, we'd, I don't know, we can go Game of Thrones, right? They always have those big, huge fur yeah. and big, the big cross, the you know, north. the fur goes up that way. Yeah, you know, he's all, you know, so right, what we're going to do right now is like, we're just blocking in shapes, right? Yeah. We're just figuring out what, what, what looks good, what doesn't. And then, you know, if we're going to have something like that, then those big, long capes they always had in that series, you know, would that work for him? And then would you, what would we see for his scale mail? Would he have anything else? Do you see him in white robes or white um, armor? You know, what you know, do you think about that? The thing with dark elves in general mm -hmm. is that they're always mm -hmm. portrayed as having longing for their home. Fieldthaz mm -hmm. had that. But mm -hmm. there's something about his his acceptance and embracing of his mm -hmm. ostracized being ostracized to the the ice wall. I feel like mm -hmm. he would probably drape himself like you know like you know those fantasy ice queens would you know and the blues <laughs> and the whites mm -hmm. and just sort of play mm -hmm. with that sort of color palette. Huh, fantasy ice queen like uh, Elsa from Frozen. <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> <laughs> I was not thinking that. <laughs> no, no, that might be good. That might be good. Let's Do you guys want to build a snowman? Yeah, let, <laughs> let's give him a big long braid. You know, let's give him a braid. Why not? Oh, and uh, some kind of, you know, do you want to build this? You know, give him that. But I mean, I mean, you can look, have totally have a braid look, as an elf. Yeah. Yeah, that doesn't look too. Uh, no, too. Uh, as long as uh, not cornrows into a braid. Okay. Yeah, okay. No cornrows. Way. That's that's it. No <laughs> cornrows. But would he wear like? I get the impression, although he resents 
he presents to Sylvanas to you, right? But he, mm. he's a High Lord now. Like, yeah. maybe he would want to show off some outward symbols of lordship. Like, when I think of a lord, you know, some kind of crown or some sort of tiara or something, you know, does oh, that, that, what does that look like to like, you? Or would the you... Dragon High Lord helmets mm -hmm. are iconic and they're great and they're practical. Mm -hmm. I mean, you have to protect your face as you're soaring through the skies at in mm -hmm. insane elevations. Um, mm -hmm. He's a wizard though. Like he could yeah. probably cast a spell of protection. So he has a little bit more ability to stylize his helmet. Mm -hmm. I like the idea of a crown, but that might be a little ostentatious when he has to travel back to Morocco and stand in front of Erica's, you know, million, mm -hmm. what are you trying to usurp me? You got your own crown or something. So maybe it's like a, a helmet, but that maybe it's open faced rather than closed face. Maybe okay. he plays, maybe that's where he plays with the walrus tusks too. You know, okay, like okay. the idea of sort of mimicking using the horns instead of going traditionally out and up, maybe it mm -hmm. comes out and down, or I don't know, you don't want to be too like, um, well, sticking out of the sides. Like, what's one, what's yeah, one trope I do find with that 80s, is very Braum right there, yeah, like with 80s Dragonlance stuff, they, they all have horns in their helmets, right? Yeah, which would just get hooked on everything and try walking through a door with this type of armor and it would never happen right <laughs> uh so I, I like what you're saying about the open face i would don't like when you think of elves they've got those ears how would you wear a helmet with ears yeah and if you did it could be like a skull you, cap or something maybe yeah yeah if you well that's a good idea yeah what if um like the skull cap from that um do you remember excalibur i from... love me some excalibur yeah, oh, let's yeah. not get started on Excalibur because we'll be here. Well, all let's day. let's start with a Merlin kind of, you Great. know, it had that neck yeah. protection piece, right? And uh, maybe dragon. he wouldn't have a a, than, a Thanoi um, uh, tusk on it, but maybe he'd have something carved into it, like. Yeah, I love Thanoi. the idea of etching, etchings. I mean, yeah. he's, he's a black robe wizard, right? Yeah, Like, yeah. there has to be some sort of arcane symbology. Maybe even, like, when Nuitary is in its full sanction, like, the 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 runes light up, and uh -huh. only under Nuitary's glow. I mean, you know, maybe it's... Yeah. Kind of... Well, I'm thinking here, like, you know, three moons, right? We've got, uh, you know, the light moon, the dark moon, and or the red moon, and then the dark moon here, Solinari, Nuitari, Lunatari. You know, yeah. maybe he could have something like that. Maybe something you know comes down a bit more uh i've always i always like how some armor you know really frames the face i know yeah. it looks very roman but you know what if we did something or tie them together and there's just a hole for the ears so it's a skull cap with holes right yeah i don't mind that at all that's great yeah something little li we're getting more high lordy i'm feeling it you know with the shapes here because mm -hmm. everything that the high lords had were kind of spiky and um uh, big plates, yeah. giant shoulder pads. That was a thing. They loved the huge shoulder pads. <laughs> that's pretty much the 80s. Yeah, yeah. That's, and that's how we roll. It doesn't, I know. So, you know, you want to uh, keep, I, I, I think about it, right? Um, do I want to keep them or not? Like, we can play with is, it. They right? could be used as a sort of a, a guard for the cloak, not to get all up in your front business, you know, just to sort mm -hmm. of keep it in the back. Mm -hmm. So the, the, you know, maybe the shoulder blades sort of come up in order to make sure that the cloak falls behind him rather than drapes over his shoulder or something. Uh, really quick, so with, LARP yeah. Engine Joe, thanks you guys so much for joining. Uh, LARP is saying gold, silver inlay, possibly. I like that mm -hmm. idea. Okay. You know, well, that's that's very in keeping with the yeah. themes that they would have, right? Some kind of pad. What if he had? What if he had a robe, kind of like a toga? 
sort of thing. Interesting. Right, coming off the back. Right. So, so we've got this toga of the black robe. Yeah. Let's use a bigger, bigger brush here. So we got this black robe coming off him, and wrapping around him. You know, you you have that majestic. He's a wizard warrior, little Roman. You yeah. Know, a little Maybe bit of that a, going you know, on like here. Like a, a two color duotone, or or you know something like the the mm -hmm. robe stripe across his chest is a different color than the base garment underneath it. Mm -hmm. Some kind of symbol of office for the yeah. high lords, you know, like maybe some kind of something here, right? Something that mm, some sort of only only or... a wizard of Tachysis and uh, would have, you know. I don't, I'm not sure, but we could. We still have the shoulder pad, so that's very dragon high lord. Mm -hmm. And we need some scammel. A lot of them too have big girdles. Have you noticed? They really have girdles. They I, love the girdle. I have not noticed <laughs> the girdle. <laughs> Anybody else there? In uh, how many people are fans uh, of girdles? Raise your hand. <laughs> yeah. Anyone else pick up on the girdle thing? That was very popular. You know, Katara has hers with uh, with the leopard print on it. You know, what if he had something Get with wolf fur? What? Am I missing <laughs> artwork? I don't. That's you haven't seen the no. no. Here, I'll show that's you. Hilarious. Armor. Right there. See it? I can't believe I've never that noticed the leopard print. Oh yeah, she's got the leopard print, you know, right what there. What the hell is happening in my life? You know, that I she's got that. the leopard print, and she's got the girdle. We've got the gold inlay and that big circle belt oh my gosh. buckle. This is a whole aspect of life for me. I found when I read Chronicles um, recently just how Verminard talked about how stuffy his his helmet was, and he was locked in. Yeah. And then when I look at this costume, he's got that cloth covering his face. <laughs> yeah, so a little I, chainmail <laughs> like over his I, mouth. Yeah, I'm like, well, is that chainmail or is that fabric? Is that what is that? You know, and then if how does that make it stuffy for Maybe him? Maybe he has allergies and it's just a hanky. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, he is. I don't want to. I don't want him to look too barbarian. This is looking yeah. a little barbarian, yeah. right? You're right. Maybe maybe he would have, because um, in the I think in the tales they say he can he can manipulate wolves and control ice wolves. I think he, they talk about that with Vilthas. Anybody? Uh, I, and I think, right? Yeah, he did. That's yeah, one yeah. of his powers, right? Yeah. So maybe something wolfish. What would be wolfish oh, that we could add to that? I mean, you could play with just you know instead like having like a paw claws where like the back of the the glove or the the gauntlet thing is like just fur. Mm -hmm. Maybe even like the claws are built into the gauntlet, not quite Freddy Krueger like, but just as like a hmm. you know a cool little method, like on the outside of it. Hmm. What if we went something like? Um, Thundercats, you know, Lino had his big, yeah, dude. his big, you know, you can tell we're pot. from the same generation. Yeah, All yeah, for sure. This is great. But what if he had a, instead of, instead of him holding the dragon orb in his hand, he's got like one claw, you know, one big old claw sort of hand. Like maybe it's a polar bear paw for a hand, oh, you know, he's wearing that and it, you know, as a That's gauntlet. A Nintendo or, power glove. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, <laughs> it's the claw is, glove. Maybe this wasn't going to work. I don't know. <laughs> but uh, this is this is fun. I'm enjoying this, yeah. right? Maybe uh, you were spitballing here, but uh, what works, what doesn't, um, you know, keep them coming. Keep the ideas. Yeah. Does he have boots up to here? Because he's, uh, you know, interested in like yeah, pirate I don't know. I, I do. Yeah. Like, honestly, I, I imagine him very much being like, once you mentioned the Game of Thrones, very much mm -hmm. sort of, you know, that sort of Stark or even like mm -hmm. Watchers of the Wall where they mm -hmm. have to be super bundled up in layers. Mm -hmm. um, I like the idea of him wearing like, 
whether it's a skin tight sort of scale mail or something underneath and that you can mm-hmm. maybe see through like a neckline of, uh, you know, outer layer robes. Mm-hmm. But the idea mm-hmm. of him having multiple robe layers, like maybe mm-hmm. this one right here is the second layer, not the skin layer. And then on the outside of that, you even have an even larger sort of, maybe it is a one-sided cape or, or where it mm-hmm. sort of drapes over one shoulder, you know, that back shoulder with the sword and, mm-hmm. you know, it comes up around that, that sort of that shoulder, uh, the shoulder guard right there that is on the, the, oh, what that would be his left shoulder. Mm-hmm. And it drapes down even further. But I like the idea of the gauntlet, maybe not like a full girdle, but like a thick robe sort of wrapping around his waist, sort of mm-hmm. containing the inner layers in, just sort of maintain that layer of, of heat for himself. Like a kind of like what Rosslyn's robe looks like in the, uh, the you know, the covers, oh. right? Like he's got some kind of robe. Maybe that, like a lot of the robes that the artists at the time, how they drew the characters is very similar. Like all like Fizbin's robes look like Rastlin's robes, look mm-hmm. like uh, Palin's robes, that sort of thing, right? right? So maybe he's got robes and they bunch up at his elbows, right? Yeah. And then we have a gauntlet or something. Yeah, here. he wants freedom um, of movement. He doesn't want his robes yeah. in the well, he needs to use his fingers and spell components to cast, so he's got to have some protection, but mm-hmm. minimal protection. What if he's got some kind of above the robe? Then he has a, a vest of scale mail. Maybe that's it. So it's just sleeves that we're seeing. Right. You know, some kind of no, that's thing like yeah. that. You know, some kind of something like that. Uh, a little bit, you know, covers the bicep, but not too much. Mm-hmm. Uh would it be very ornate? Ornate, sorry. Would he have straps? And I mean, I don't. Yeah, you have to think about more, the, right? the process of putting it on. I mean, does he have a mm-hmm. helper to help him put this stuff on, or is it, it has to be mm-hmm. simple enough for him to slip it on and off because mm-hmm. he lives such an isolated existence? What if he had fur boots? You know, some kind of fur. I feel like just Would practically he... you have to, right? Maybe well, it's even walrus might... hide. Like it's got to be like Ooh. thick and blubbery, like massive boots. Hmm. What if it was walrus hide, but it had been, you know, treated or something? So it doesn't have like that shaggy hide. Something. It's, it's you know, but it, they're bulkier. No, like the idea of like um, alligator. I would never, you know, be a supporter of it. But the idea of like alligator boots or something like that, mm-hmm. where it's like, you know, clearly you don't have the thickness of the fat layer that alligators have on the inside of their scale, but. It's just mm-hmm. that you just see the texture on the outside. It's been treated or tanned or something. Yeah, we, we definitely would sell with that kind of thing. They'd be big and warm, over boots almost. So mm. maybe he would wear layers. I, I think about the ice wall castle and, I mean, is it made of ice? Is it made of stone? You know, I think it was a pre-cataclysm castle that was stranded there. So... Uh, but the ice, it's on a glacier now. So, right, you know, right, right. there'd be a bit of both. And yeah, what would it be would like to live there? For sure. I yeah. mean, like, I, I honestly imagine it like the, the wall in the north of, of uh, okay. Westeros, you know, like that it's got to be like a structure was originally built, but the mm-hmm. elements are creeping mm-hmm. in on it. So he mm-hmm. has to have stone architecture in some cases, maybe even because, you know, elves are so great with shaping their environments. Mm-hmm. I mean, they live in forests and so they use trees and, and granite and stuff like that. They use rock. Mm-hmm. Maybe he mm-hmm. did that with, with the ice wall. So maybe he, he, it's a mixture. It's a conglomerate of, of, of ice and stone. A conglomerate of ice and stone. I never thought of him uh, for manipulate, manipulating it. I almost got the, I thought of him as he just moved in. He's the latest tenant. Mm. Yeah. You know, and, and he just, you know, how would he live there? Would it, you know, would he have, you know, dead animals on the ground as his 
rugs or would it actually have rugs that he brought in? Because in the books, they refer to the other high lords really uh, enjoying the finer things, right? Mm -hmm. And the plunder. So maybe during his, you know, his campaigns, he's plundered and brought rich, lavish rugs. And then you'd have that nice, that really, that contrast. Like, so when you watch Game of Thrones, and I, we want to be careful not to be too over influenced by that other IP because we're making something new here, right? Right. right. But um, it, there's a real, they have a lot of language. They've broken a lot of ground here. Mm -hmm. um, but the wall is just stark. There's nothing, it's, it's so stark. There's nothing going on there. It's just wood, ice, stone, fur coats. Yeah, especially <laughs> to an elven sensibility. Yeah. So, you know, maybe he would be this. You know, this stinks. I don't like this. I want, I'll just give him some big baggy sleeves maybe. Um, but maybe he would, the contrast, if you have this stark, terrible environment, yet you have a beautiful, colorful rug, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. There's got to be a, there's got to be a reason why he, like, he, does he want to live in uncomfortable he, gray the world thing is, again you know he's mm -hmm. a dark elf and so he he reflects mm -hmm. fondly on the mm -hmm. lifestyle that he was banished from in sylvanesty for for choosing mm -hmm. the black robes so mm -hmm. he must have that yeah that sensibility of, of wanting to embrace nature but also the finer things in life you know mm -hmm. I, I always imagine the sylvanesty and colonesty really you know shaping like pottery and you know having mm -hmm. wonderful sculptures you know on table stands and like i just imagine them sort of enjoying the artistic side of life infinitely more so if you just moved into this existing ice palace or ice castle or something and you're mm -hmm. a dark elf i do imagine him shaping that surrounding like filling it with creature comforts that are familiar and happy, mm -hmm. you know? I mean, mm -hmm. I'm sure he's got a winery somewhere that he, you know, oh, artificially yeah, yeah. keeps at the right temperature. And I have a friend who's an ice sculptor and, you know, I, I follow him quite a bit on social media and I just made, just occurred to me, he makes, you know, what he makes and why, like maybe that instead of manipulating nature in the sense of growing trees or gardens, he is shaping the ice. Mm -hmm. What if he's carving, you know, his victories out of ice using his magic on the, the walls. Oh, That'd be kind of cool, cool right? Yeah. You know, you, maybe there's a, like a fireplace that doesn't, only gives off warmth, but for some magical reason, it doesn't melt the ice. So maybe it's encrusted in some sort of dragon battle. That would be pretty neat, right? Or, cool, yeah. you know, uh, this, I mean, I haven't gotten to the point where I'm designing the world that they're in. But uh, I'm liking where this is going. Uh, mm -hmm. I'm enjoying the riffing process. You know, it, it really informs. Well, yeah, that's what I'm the, saying. Like, the, 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 yeah, you you had meant you alerted earlier. Like, we need to understand how people live in order to understand why they look the way they do, because that informs exactly. it. Yeah, mm -hmm. and I do like the idea of of him embracing his exile in this place. He needs to project a sense of I belong here to the residents. You know, mm -hmm. like. We have the the ice folk. We have the Thanawai. We have uh, the the polar bear population down here. He needs to project the sense of look. I'm an outsider, but this is my home now, and mm -hmm. you will do what I say or suffer mm -hmm. the consequences because I am the High Lord. I am High Lord mm -hmm. Filthaz. I am the only High Lord with mm -hmm. a dragon orb. Mm -hmm. That's huge. Like no that one ever huge. talks about that. And that, that, yes, I, that's why I think it's important to show him with that. Like mm. as a character, it's a shame because in the game, I mean, he was powerful. And if, if you go through his stats, his strength is 1830 something. Like he's, he's really, really strong Jeez. for an elf. Right. And, 
you know, he, Lord Soth is 18, uh, 1800, right? Strength. So he's, you know, there's not very many characters are in the high 18s, right? Especially in Elf. So he's yeah. got some power to Especially him. And when he hits you, yeah, when he hits you, he hits you hard. And uh, I'm thinking about, you know, in the story too, they just, one of the stories in the tales describes how his, and in the, the game too, they talk about he waits in his treasure room with a, after taking a, drinking a potion of invisibility and he gets the first attack and he hits one of the knights with a lightning bolt or something and mm. kills them you know so he's a he's powerful he's threatening he's not just some lackey like toady right he is a yeah. he, he's a real intimidating character and he's a real force a force to reckon with and uh how do we capture that and you know be scared as a player as an audience i want to be scared of this guy you know, and I, I want to convey that power, but make him elf, make him elvish, make him, you know, Sylvanesty but unique, some kind of hybrid with the High Lords. Yeah, I'm. Uh, these are what I'm going with. Maybe the robes I'm finding with the armor, as you can see here, I'm I'm giving him tighter gloves. You know, mm -hmm. they're you know very form fitting, so he still has lots of dexterity, but they they protect yeah, his hands somehow. Them, sure. Yeah, and then you know maybe he's got puffy sleeves because you want baggy clothes in the in winter scenarios to you know insulate you, and it's also very wizard like. But he's going to have to have his basic armor, you know, his basic in the in the module they describe it as he's wearing chainmail, right? Mm -hmm. So let's say he's got a chainmail harness going on here, just right. you know that's it. It's simple. He, he's in the ice wall. There's not a lot of people to stand up well, to. He's him not trying to impress anyone. Yeah, and and I don't like the 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 people of the ice wall, the 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 locals. They're not really a threat to him at all. You know, he's almost, you know, he wears armor just I think out of uh, like the I think of the heroes came into the mm -hmm. castle and he's like, oh, I better put my armor on. So he just threw his his chainmail on. Maybe <laughs> that's that's what's going on. But then he, maybe he wears. We, we've got the robe. So let's combine that robe. I like that robe and shoulder pad idea. So her so podcast he... is saying, um, mm -hmm. oh, sorry, I got a notification that covered it. Uh, draw inspiration mm -hmm. from Druk Hari in 40K. I don't know that reference. Do you? No, no. 40K, that's Warhammer, right? Yeah, I think so. Warhammer 40K. No, I uh, I don't know the reference, but um, This I'll feels very senatorial. Yeah, yeah. Well, maybe we'll riff on that, you know? But Let's give him, what if he's got some kind of big scarf, right? Or some kind of something. Oh, that's interesting. I kind of like yeah. that idea. Yeah. What if he's got a, because something that's like a this? Huge heat saver. Yeah. Yeah. I it's mean, like traps it in. You would think elves would be prone to frostbite <laughs> in the north, right? Because oh, their sure. ears are exposed, right? I mean, they're, yeah, so, they're used to the forest. Yeah. And... So he would have to do that, but we don't want to give him earmuffs because that's just not <laughs> that very <laughs> heroic. <laughs> but some kind of thing. What if uh, we have a wolf symbol here, you mm -hmm. know, because he can turn into wolves. Let's yeah. just, I'm just, you know, I dig it. knocking out forms, right? Um, yeah. Uh, let's go with that. You know, would he wear something on his head? Uh the helmet. I feel like he has to have something on his head. Maybe only mm -hmm. when he's taking flight, you know, with the dragon. Yeah. Well, okay. I, I like that too. You know, he would have... So let's go with the version 7 we liked of the hair. So it's kind of long, slicked back, you know, uh, that yeah, sort of thing. I mean, thing. when he's home, I, I don't... Maybe he has a circlet, you know, that sort of 
goes around and holds his hair down in the back or something. But okay, I okay. can't imagine like a full normal, you know, uh-huh. wear helmet. Let's say it's made out of some kind of. Engine Joe is insistent. There must be a Thanoi skull somewhere. <laughs> there must be a Thanoi. <laughs> okay, okay. Did you see the Thanoi that I I did the the I had done a drawing of one. I think Let's I sent show it, it in to everyone watching. Uh, I don't know that we cycled through all the images while we were talking. So. Right, right. So we keep with the girdle. Are you showing it right now? Or? No, I'm not. I'm just watching. Oh, okay. Yeah, oh, I'm okay. not going to go away from you're what you're gonna... doing right here. Oh, oh and, okay, and here's sure. something I wanted to bring up because normally mm-hmm. interviews that I do are around an hour. We're 11 over, over an hour right now. How, how long mm-hmm. are you comfortable going before we should sort of oh, taper I'm... this off? I got all day. <laughs> it's up to you, Ed, and well, I'm what good. Your, your time is, and if, yeah, as long as you're enjoying yourself, hours, but... yeah, as long as you're enjoying yourself and and your your followers, yeah, you know, are getting something out of this, then let's keep it going and have some fun. So um, here's something that, that I do as a, a graphic designer that I think mm-hmm. I think most artists do this as well, but it just sort of struck me. So don't manipulate this picture at all. But everyone watching this. Mm-hmm. Turn your head away from the screen, l- focus your eyes on something in the distance, and then look back at what he has on the screen. It looks fucking great. Like, like you get a new perspective when you stop looking at it. For, and another thing is obviously, you know, scaling it and, you know, walking away from it and <laughs> okay, looking sorry, at a different yeah. perspective. No, no, I mean, but uh-huh. it, it helps you, like, look at the image. You get so close to it and so involved when you're working on it. It's nice to step away from it and then come back to it. And when you do that, you see it in a different light. Sometimes it's not good. Sometimes it's great. In this particular mm-hmm. case, I think it's great. But I, I like where you're going with this. Oh, especially that that texture you you sort of painting in. That's great. Yeah, I'm just knocking in some chainmail rings, yeah. right? Just you know, uh, it, it gives a bit of texture. It shows us what's going on. And the thing is, he must there. be arrogant, right? I mean, he's a right. dragon high lord. Yes, uh-huh. he was outcast from Sylvanesty, but he owned that. He's a right. black robed wizard. He has a dragon orb. He has a dragon. He is in control of the largest landmass that any dragon high lord has ever been in control of. Yeah, mm. it's mostly desolate, but still. <laughs> mm. It's like open tundra, but still. Like, well, let's let's push up his vanity then. Yeah. What what ways can we make him look more more vain, more powerful, more uh to go with what you were just saying. Correct. What are your ideas on that one? Like more it's almost like in direct contrast to the stark nature of his domain. Right. Like it's a it's a bleak domain. It's it's snow and it's sparsely well, I populated. Wonder if the, the natives of of this region, if they have some sort of um like jewelry decoration, you know, like what what's mm-hmm. their natural decoration and how can you then take that and mm-hmm. add an a sort of garish elven sensibility on top of it? You know, hmm. is it like um, I don't know. Is it like links, uh, like chain links around their their neck that sort of hang, and then he maybe he has, you know, extrapolated out gems, or or maybe it's you know claws or teeth or something on top of that to sort of marry this idea of visceral, you know, sort of uh, aggression with you know a uh, 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 beauty and and stark uh, just hmm. dazzle. I mean, is it is it something where Instead of even doing decoration style, maybe it's just an outfit where, you know, like when you look at people from a distance, you're getting silhouettes more than anything else. Mm-hmm. What's the silhouette of Fielthaz? 
to to project that sense of like ostentatious you know power mm -hmm. i mean dragon high lords naturally do it with their helmet and the armor pads and the shoulders you know from a distance mm -hmm. so maybe he takes that but he changes it up in a way so um maybe instead of having a helmet create that sort of horn on the top maybe it's extending from like his his actual armor back piece like maybe that's where he has the the walrus tusks coming out from the back piece and it's sort of framing the the outside of his back so like did you ever see 13th warrior a long time like there ago, are these bear creatures in that there's sort of a riff on the gilgamesh story in the second half of that film mm -hmm. but they they use these long tusks as sort of a, a silhouette yeah kind of like that Mm -hmm. where, where it just sort of came up from the back. And that's just a way of, of him sort of projecting this sense of larger than life. Would he... So what if he had a big, you know, plate... Oh, I see what you're doing. ...shoulder pad? But... Um, well, that this is what it would look like. So it would yeah, attach know, to the shoulder that's pad? Or did they... So I was thinking more of like it's it's like a, a, like a harness. Maybe it's part of the girdle that like just extends up in this plate piece on his back to keep his back rigid when he's flying... And that's where the horns come. Oh shit! Sorry, I just hit my my hair. Um, <laughs> what if um, it's like hmm, what if he from did or something. something like um, something like uh, remember uh, Mad Max? Yeah, Thunderdome. Yeah, and the guy, what was the guy? He had that, you know, it was like a skull on the like some kind of harness, right? What if he on his back? You know, uh, something like that. And this could be made out of the bones of Thanoi, and maybe this is a Thanoi skull here. That's you know, kind of right off, weird. right off that. I mean, it's, it's pretty savage, <laughs> but you know, what if it was something like that? Um, I'm trying to think of how would the, I don't know if that was working, but how would those spikes work? Cause they would effectively be spikes if they yeah. were coming off of them. What if he instead had the Thano, the sword is made, the ivory is carved Thanoi tusk, right? What if it's some kind of, you know, interesting sword? Here, this is all like, ivory. Yeah, the hilt or something. Right, and but you know, say it doesn't. It's one of those, um, you know, some like a Japanese katana. Sometimes yeah, yeah, doesn't yeah. have a suba on it, the yeah. cross guard. So it would be, a, say, a shorter blade. Oh, that's kind of cool. You know, but made out of. Honed. Yeah, but it, it the handle is like one long one long tang. So this would be the tang, and then the blade, and then the blade, the whole hilt would just be a thanoi. Uh, thing but aren't the thanoi his allies doesn't he like he's he's their boss so yeah how would they respond if he was wearing their carcass as his i mean it goes to <laughs> yeah. it, it, you bring yeah. up a good point it goes to uh -huh. the intimidation factor right so the mm -hmm. if you know if it was us trying to you know convince a, a populace to follow us we would be like hey you know i can identify with your problems and i can help your problems you know they're very political i always imagine high lords being like you don't choose to work with me you mm -hmm. must work with me. So it's a, a position mm -hmm. of command. It's a commission of a position of power. Like I mm -hmm. slayed your greatest leader. You know, it's very prison yard. You go, you go to prison, you hit the biggest guy there and you make a name for yourself. He goes mm -hmm. there, he finds their champion and he decimates the champion. And that's why he's wearing his, the champion's X, you know, whatever mm -hmm. that X is. Mm -hmm. And so that, that's like that. sort of where yeah. I'm coming from when it, when it comes to that. Maybe he maybe he gained control of the Thanoi tribe because he destroyed their their leader, right? Mm -hmm. Something like that. Something 
and the thing is, the like, robes going. You know, walrus skin isn't great. <laughs> it, it doesn't look good. It's not aesthetic. Uh -huh. I can't imagine an elf being like, I want to tan this and wear this. You know, we were playing around mm -hmm. with the idea before, but the more I think about it, the more I'm like, I don't know. What of a mm -hmm. walrus would you actually want to showcase? Definitely mm -hmm. not the gross, hairy muzzle. <laughs> they're, they're not pleasant-looking creatures. I mean, they're cute, but they're not like, uh -huh. I want to wear this and look badass. So the only thing that you could really use from the Thanoi would be their tusks that would look mm -hmm. badass. But then how badass does that actually look to other Thanoi? You know, if they're the ones wearing it, they're just like, that's Tuesday. What That doesn't mean anything to me. I don't care. So that's not very intimidating to Thanoi. So maybe well, yeah, it is I, something different. When I drew the Thanoi, when I was thinking about them, I mean, some of the other illustrations had shown them with weapons and uh wearing a little bit of clothing and armor and that just didn't make sense to me as mm. a uh, a creature that swims it's a polar creature that swims and they're they're almost they're fairly intelligent they're very tribal and they've got these giant paws with claws anyways why would they need an axe yeah. right why would they need anything right. and they would be terrifying coming out of the ocean just coming at you right no and they words, would yeah. Yeah, and like I don't know if you've ever been around large sea mammals, but one time I went as I was out at deep sea fishing. I had a girlfriend once, but yeah. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> one time I was I was out deep sea fishing on the Pacific coast, and we went to this rock, and it was covered in sea lions, but like the the really really big ones, mm -hmm. I think, and uh, they're smaller than walrus. But these things would have swamped our boat if one of them even hit the boat or oh. came into the boat, and they were swimming under it and around it, and it was. You know, the power of these things is not lost on me. So I, I think I think of the these creatures. Let's imagine they were created by the Grey Gem, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. And they're they they're basically just walrus men. Mm -hmm. That's it. So they're and that's all they need to be. And they're scary enough, just like that. They wouldn't have anything else. And uh, you know, th that's where I'm going with the walrus with the Thanoi and uh, mm -hmm. using them almost as giant shock troops just crushing through any opposition uh that's terrifying enough like giant trolls you know in, if you use the lord of the rings sort of right, comparison right. but um because you're talking about the ice people i haven't shown you this but let's i did a, i broke some ground on what maybe the ice people looked like oh, so nice. we can just take a quick segue over here but um, and this might influence where we're going with the design of filthas right that's great uh, um so here's Harold and Ragart, what I was thinking for these guys. Although Harold is supposed to be seven feet tall, 300 pound, wearing a frost reaver. He's got horns on his helmet, wearing, you know, the, the, the fur of a bear or something going on here. I just mm -hmm. thought, uh, that's what I'm thinking of. These are my initial thoughts. Great. And then Ragart, I'm thinking in the description, they describe him as extremely old and shrouded in white fur. And mm -hmm. Yeah, that's not very interesting to me. <laughs> I'm thinking of him as he's still a fighter. Like he still has a mace and a shield and fights and he's not geriatric. He's just a, you say a guy in his late fifties, yeah. you know, but he's this. It's like old is, warrior, not so much like. Yeah. Yeah. Person in Florida. <laughs> I, don't, I, I don't imagine anybody on ice wall would be a wuss. Yeah, I would no, think anyone no who lived out there would be tough. Hard just by nature. Right. Leathery skin. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> for sure. Yeah, and and then here I'm thinking, well, what would the villagers look like? The people, the everyday people, because yeah. you know, in fantasy, that's one thing we always see are just the heroes mm -hmm. and the fighters, but we never really see the world that they're protecting and the people and the reason, which is essentially their motivation for doing whatever they do, is their community, right? Mm -hmm. And this guy on the right, he could probably fight 
some Thanoi with, but he's probably just a fisherman and that's what he does all the time or a hunter, yeah. you know, and this could be his family, you know, his grandma or his mom and his kids and his wife and that kind of stuff. So I'm thinking along the lines of kind of Northern European, uh, you know, medieval clothing, you know, because right. if, if you look at the cues from the cover of Dragons of Ice, they're wearing woven fabrics and mm -hmm. they have swords and helmets. So they have some kind of technology. They're not simply Stone Age people living on the ice. I'm thinking maybe they were people who lived there before the cataclysm and that's all that's left. And maybe they, because if they have these ice ships, they can travel vast distances. They're probably great traders. They probably trade with people all over the place. And it's such a vast area. So I'm thinking their culture could be really, really neat, really, really unique and have all kinds of different, uh, there's a lot of places where we could go with that. Yeah, not what very you, just similar from like Scandinavian or, you know, mm -hmm. even, you know, like Northern Russian sort mm -hmm. of garb from, you know, your 15th century and before, you know, the realities of the environment force you mm -hmm. to dress specific ways, but then you want to decorate mm -hmm. those fabrics and, you know, mm -hmm. sort of with mm -hmm. your own culture and stuff. Mm -hmm. um, I do always kind of go back to the idea of, you know, he is part of a military organization. You know, he's, he's in the dragon armies. Yep. We'll go so back to this guy. he yeah. has to, he has to not just dress like the natives due to practicalities of it, but he mm -hmm. has to also enhance that with the sensibilities of the dragon army. I can't imagine, you know, showing up at one of their, uh, I don't know, chamber meetings or something where, mm -hmm. you know, he comes out looking like a native of Icefall mm -hmm. and everyone mm -hmm. would just be like, okay with it. They'd be probably talking shit. Like, why are you adopting their clothing? <laughs> you're supposed to be subjugating mm -hmm. them. You're not supposed to be mm -hmm. one of them. So, mm -hmm. you know, you got to sort of look the role of Dragon mm -hmm. High Lord. So we do have to kind of keep that silhouette intact. You know, we, you know, mm -hmm. we had those shoulder pads. We had, you know, some form of a helmet to sort of showcase that this is a Dragon High Lord, not just mm -hmm. a local king or something. Yeah, you're right. Um, I don't, I never even, it never occurred to me that he would interact positively or even at all with the people of his region except to enslave them <laughs> you know right. i don't imagine him saying okay you know turn in your rents uh, i imagine yeah. just wipe it all out and i this is all mine and he maybe keeps a couple to be slaves around the ice wall i don't i never even thought of him as trying to be like i think of the high lords as their own people's only purpose is to serve them mm -hmm. and that's it yeah. you know pure evil right yeah. so how would we like in this version here I, I like keeping the robe so we've got some kind of ankle length or long something to hint that he's got you know his magic user past mm -hmm. right and i've got we could maybe have that toga robe going over his shoulder here but then instead of a belt what if he had a baldric to hang, uh, hang his sword which would be a little like more that. yeah a little more um utility easy to use especially when you have bulky clothing yeah. you know you don't want to have all these belts that you got to buckle on with your mitts on and that sort of thing yeah. so maybe some kind of that and we need more we need i think we're getting stuck on symbols of office yeah. how how do we express his rank and his title through his clothing through his appearance you know mm -hmm. is anybody in the chat have any ideas that they 
I mean, you know, horrific podcast is asking about Ulish Warriors. Yeah. I'm not familiar with that reference. Um, mm-hmm. Let's see. Ice Wall could not be kind of people with arthritis. <laughs> let's see chamois to deer hides is what buffalo he's worked with um i'm trying to just like scan through mm-hmm. what, what if he had bone on his greaves bones mm-hmm. on his greaves or maybe the greaves themselves are made out of bones uh, or maybe mm-hmm. it's just strapped to his his boots or something mm-hmm. um let's see you got a thumbs up for the mad max thunderdome idea with the skull Hmm. Um. So yeah, I, I mean, you sort of just go wherever. I see silk damask for the robes and headgear. Silk damask. Okay, I'm an idiot. I don't know what damask means. Um. I think it's a type of uh, pattern, maybe, or a fabric. Oh, is it type? You know, this yeah. is really we're getting. It's 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 causing us some hangups. So what I'm thinking, let's let's go in a different direction. Okay. Let's draw him as a full-on high lord. Let's go, let's go like he is at Naraka having a uh, a chat with uh, everybody else, yeah. and he's going to fit in with these guys. So let's just go with that because we're we're trying to go, we're we're struggling here. So yeah. this is what we do. You know, sometimes you hit a wall, you just go back to what you do know. And we'll work backwards. I don't see him wearing being sleeveless because that's just not going to go. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> but these big gloves that Katara has here. And uh, if I mispronounce everyone's names, um, do that's thing. just how do I do it. <laughs> I used to have an ongoing debate with another kid in my school uh, about the proper way to pronounce Carmen and Raslin. Oh, He's like, really? it's Caramon and Raslin. And I'm like, I don't see it that way. And I feel like the. Um, uh, Margaret Weiss and Tracy Hickman use a lot. They use too many vowels in their names and places. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, anyways, let's see. Uh, let's give them. So, Katara sometimes has her, like she's got a forearm plate, but it's underneath her glove. So she pulls her gloves on and off. So right, I guess so maybe maybe that makes sense practically because like let's say you want to take your gloves off, but you don't want to take your whole piece of armor off. You would do that. So is it so like a grieve? On her forearm? I, I don't know what that's... The armor that they use is kind of made up. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Some well, of their, yeah. their pieces. So, you know, it wouldn't be... Well, what if we use something more realistic? Let's say he's he'll have like an elbow plate. I kind of right? like that idea. Yeah. Yeah. Some kind of elbow plate like that. And then it connects to... Let's just follow along. Yeah. So if you look you know, contemporary or sorry, other medieval armor, they would have some kind of plate going up here, this mm-hmm. area, some sort of plating. Zazu bands strap. for the arms, Lark Beard says. What are they for the arm? Zazu Bazu, bands? Bazu bands? Or, I, don't I have no idea what that is. Okay. Well, I appreciate your input, but I don't know what that means. Uh, so let's give them... Uh, what Assume do you have we're idiots and we don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, I have no idea. I have. I don't know. Well, I mean, it she, looks like just a, yeah. like a forearm, like a grieve, like a, like a bracer yeah. is not a grieve, a bracer. Right. Well, he, she has plates, these overlapping scales going yeah. up her whole shoulder. So you'd have that silhouette of kind of a spikiness. Mm-hmm. And then they, uh, they always have the big... Like, yeah. if you look at the middle for dragons of... Um, uh book two uh winter winter's night yep uh 
that's huge. That is like you could not fight that. You could not fight wearing something like that at all. So that's why I it like Excalibur cool. so much because the armored uh-huh. pieces fit so well together for movement. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. I sort of just associate that movement armor with the High Lord armor. You know what I mean? Yeah, so like I've the layers of, re- of of straps and stuff. I kind of reserved that sort of um, Excalibur armor for the Knights of Salamnia. That's what I was thinking. You know, really ornate. You know, mm-hmm. like, like it's all been handed down. It all it's been custom fit depending on the uh, status of yeah. the knight and what he uh can afford or what you know what's been handed down i actually broke some ground you've seen the one i did of aaron talbo yeah. um i have uh you're still seeing my screen right yeah. uh here's don't open that some... right there That's... <laughs> oh yeah no, I'm just <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah okay um let's see if it's loading here or losing anyways you can we can see, see what uh, you're looking at there right we now, go yeah there we go. So Derek's in the middle, Ryan Donner's in the right, and Aaron Talbo on the left. Yeah. So I'm kind of, they're not finished. These are work, well, Aaron's finished, but the other two are work in progress. But I'm trying to, you know, Knight of the Crown, Knight of the Sword, Knight of the Rose. Right. And how would we, like, in the books, they don't really describe Derek as, um, he always has a sword and shield. But in the game, he's got a halberd, and that's what he uses as his weapon. And, uh, I think that's kind of neat. It's kind of interesting. And yeah. uh, how would he differ from the other characters? He's got more status. He's got obviously more wealth. And, uh, you know, yeah. I, I, he's also I, a huge douchebag. I know. <laughs> I know. You know, um, in the book, he's such a terrible person, but they needed an antagonist for that book. They didn't really have one in yeah. the book, really. So they, they needed something. In my version of the story, He'd still be, you know, a jerk and cause a lot of problems, but he would still have some heroic moments and some kind of leadership. It's almost like he, I wouldn't have his um, decline mm-hmm. so rapid at the end. Yeah. I would, I think I'd have his decline be more gradual because yeah. he goes, he's basically a dick at the beginning and then he just becomes crazy at the end. Yeah. So let's say maybe he comes off at the beginning as a worthy ally and someone you would collaborate with because you you know why would they join this guy to go looking for the dragon orb unless he was half decent or trustworthy, right? But he he kind of comes off as a real bully and a jerk mm-hmm. from the get-go. So let's say he starts off as being a good guy and maybe with his knights dying, he kind of something changes in him and then he gets uh bitter and angry or power hungry or something happens to him in his fight or the drag maybe he has a moment where he looks in the dragon orb and it messes him up like it did with lorak like there's so many ways we could go with that to show him being corrupted uh what do you think have you ever thought of that yeah i i mean the, mm-hmm. the reality is is he's he's uh he, he's in uh a, a sort of contest for being the next ruler mm-hmm. of all the knights of slamnia with gunther with wistan and so mm-hmm. he is he's in a, a political player who is going after this dragon orb only to cement his position as being the the leader of this organization mm-hmm. that's really the only reason he's doing it even less so to win any manufactured war or anything like he just wants status and so mm-hmm. for the soldiers following him they're doing it because he is in a position of authority. This is a military mm-hmm. organization 
anyone below you has to follow your, <clears throat> excuse me, follow your order no matter what. So mm-hmm. when, you know, and he's also relying on these sort of legends that the measure is sort of proponing, like, you know, y- you have to go out in a blaze of glory and the gods will be with you and protect you. Even in this time when there are no gods, according to, you know, the vast majority of people, his mm-hmm. perspective doesn't shift at all. And so he is coming into this thinking, I need to be the hero that, uh, like all the heroes of old in Salamnic tradition, I am going to find this artifact that is going to give us the edge over every other race, including all the good races, in order to, you know, make the Knights of Salamnia be the heroes that we all know we are. And I'm mm-hmm. not even going to let other Knights of Salamnia get in my way of doing it. He is mm-hmm. single minded in that he just wants glory. And not just glory for himself, but for the order itself. Because for the past 350 years, the order has been, you know, thrown in the mud and kicked around and joked about and ostracized and literally murdered in some cases, thrown out of your own castle, thrown out of your own hereditary lands. Like, it's not a great place to be or a great time to be mm-hmm. in Islamia. So he is latching on to the legends and he just wants to be a living one. That's mm-hmm. how I see him. And it just, the problem is, is that it's very much like today. You go into mm-hmm. modern, you know, 2023 with 1980s sensibilities, mm-hmm. you're not going to get very far because we, mm-hmm. you know, the culture has shifted in a very different way. So I think he is just faced with this shift in culture and he doesn't want to admit to it. And that's his downfall. And so he comes off as douchey and asshole and sort of crazy. Mm-hmm. But the reality is he's just trying to live up to everything that he's been taught from a child, you know? Yeah. Well, I mean, it, it all makes perfect sense. And you you really, I mean, you know your stuff. <laughs> so uh, uh, that be, you know, I go with that. Much as well. <laughs> you, well, no, that's great, though. That's great. I love it. I love it. Um, I, you know, he's almost like a an antihero or a, um, a dark version of Huma Dragonbane, right? Yeah. He's he's the the opposite of what, you know, he, he has the potential at the beginning to be that hero, oh, yeah. you know, he's, and he's got the backing and the drive and he's got everything he needs, but instead of making the right decision, he makes the wrong decision and it just spirals out of control. I mean, he's a great foil for Sturm and oh, yeah. he's a great character. Like he's, he's really a good character. I mean, everyone hates him and no one, I think like, I've never really seen any artwork with him except the uh, character portraits that are in the modules and that's a shame because in the comics babe i didn't really read the comics that much that was one thing i didn't really go into yeah you don't really Um, have to but there's there's two different mm -hmm. comic runs that do showcase him um Mm -hmm. and they don't showcase him as like an asshole or anything you know i mean how Mm -hmm. do you draw someone looking like an asshole but Mm -hmm. you know he just looks like a a knight you know Mm -hmm. and that's what i like about is that it's it's his personality and his drives that make him what he is not his mm-hmm. outer appearance. So, you know, you just showcase the the three different knights that, that are traveling with the companions down to Icewall. Mm-hmm. I've always imagined the Knights of Salamnia, the only real difference in their appearance may mm-hmm. be etchings in their armor, but they all mm-hmm. wear and look the same because they have to sort of be that seamless military face whenever hmm. you see them, you know? Like that in, hmm. in my mind, I always see the Knights of Salamnia as the Excalibur Knights of the Round Table. They all wore mm-hmm. full plate mail. Maybe Lancelot, you know, had a little bit different flair. The epilot tells you what family you're mm-hmm. from. Maybe you have a banner that tells you your family or, you know, mm-hmm. your, your order that you're a part of, but you all look the same. Mm-hmm. By well, that's design, what's, arguably. Isn't that interesting, though? Because um, 
I mean, that's how you imagine it. And maybe your first exposure to Excalibur influenced your imagination for sure, when you're yeah. moving forward. And I love that. That's that's what's so great about this. And for me, I I think of the practicality, like every suit of armor is handmade, mm -hmm. custom to that person. Right. And so f just the logistics of having every single night with the exact same suit, except maybe with different sculptures or etchings on it, would be really d unrealistic. And I think about ones, so I thought of Aaron as a poor knight. Mm -hmm. You know, he's still a knight, but his choice weapon is the longbow. He, and as a long, as a long bowman, he wouldn't wear plate mail. For you know, sure. it would be it yeah. would be an encumbrance to him. So maybe, I you, I looked at references for say knights from an earlier period where he's got chainmail and some, um, you know, some sort of leather with plates sewn into it. Uh, and but he would still have elements, but his fighting style and his approach, he would still be an adherent of the of the code and the measure. Mm -hmm. But he just wouldn't have the status like Derek. It's obvious that he is he's second to Gunthar, right? Like he mm -hmm. is. He's wealthy. He's powerful. He can, he can afford whatever he needs or wants. He probably has five suits of of plate mail. You know, if he was going on <laughs> <Right>. an adventure, <laughs> if he was going on this grand adventure, you know, down to ice wall, crossing whatever, he probably would put on, uh, you know, his his second rate suit, yeah. <laughs> but yeah. it would still be a full plate suit, and he'd probably insist one of these guys beside him acted as a squire and helped him get in and out of it after every day on the road, um, even though they're full knights, you know, mm -hmm. just because of his vanity and his his uh, hubris. But the other two knights, I think they would understand the, the journey would be so long and so epic. They'd want to travel lightly. They'd want to be inconspicuous because knights aren't necessarily trusted and loved throughout the land. And no mm -hmm. one had been to Tarsus in forever. Right, mm -hmm. didn't even know if it was still there. So that's a pretty cool journey right there. And maybe these guys would go about it a little more practically. They wouldn't, they wouldn't wear lots of gear. They would be more about stealth and um, that sort of thing. Yeah. So these no, are the I ideas like that I like in my head. I yeah. Like, yeah. I like yeah. how your your mind is working with this. Okay. Cool. We're on the same page. But uh, I would like to see more of the characters. I would like to eventually draw more of the characters from the series. Yeah. Um, you know, not just the main heroes of the Lance, but other ones too, like Waylorn Wyvern's Bane or Kron and Sorinda. You remember them from mm -hmm. the other modules? Uh, lesser known characters. Um, Silvara seems to be one that pops up. People still like drawing. I see her. Yeah. Uh, Started you know, out as Silvart. For Silvart, yeah. Yeah. Dargent the dragon. Yeah. Silvart or whatever. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I love that they're in the modules themselves. There's so many neat stories. And I hope other people who are following this, maybe they get inspired to look at the original modules and oh, read so. them because they're really cool. And like the, the uh, dragons of war where they're the battle of the high Claris tower, like the yeah, maps that come dude. with the module are so cool. Crazy. It isn't it. It's it, the amount of work that went into making these games, considering it was the eighties is really impressive. And yeah. Even all the store, like you can wander around the Tower of High Clarist and you can, there's, what is, there's a, there's a, a ghost of a High Clarist that you place chess with. And if you get the right chess piece, you can make something happen in the game. I don't want to give it away, but you know, there's, there's neat things. Then there's, you can actually conduct the whole battle. Here I am selling it to <laughs> the world, but, um, but what I'm getting at are the stories. Yeah. And uh, I just finished in Dragons of Spring Dawning. The chapter where Flint and Tasselhoff go into battle on the back of That's the dragon. That's hilarious. It, yeah. Why that is it is, hilarious? When well on the dragon back? Yeah. 
Yeah. Well, Taz is like having a. Well, I don't know if we're talking about the same scene where Taz is like they capture Bacchus. Yep, they do. Yep. Yeah, yeah. That I just thought that was hilarious. Where they accident, it was like a total accident. They captured him, but Taz is like having the time of his life, riding on Dragonback, just giddy and, and Flint's terrified, white knuckling uh-huh. it. Like you, damn door brain of a Kendra, like <laughs> doorknob of a Kendra. You can't handle like how excited hit the person he's stuck with on this Dragonback is. But the uh-huh. dragon is doing his best to be like respectful to the dwarf and you know cater to him. But he sort of embraces the excitement of Taz, and I I love that scene so much. I love it how he flatters Flint yeah. to, to manipulate him. And my daughter, she was uh, laughing and chuckling throughout the whole uh, the whole uh, beginning of that chapter. Just the you know what what made you like just to describe what the moments you described mm-hmm. of the 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 dialogue between Tasselhoff and Flint and Flint's stubbornness and just everything about it. It's a really well written chapter, and I enjoyed it. The thing that I complain about though is the whole series is called Dragonlance. Yeah, it's the only time we really have a fight on the back of a dragon with the Dragonlance in the whole series. Yeah, in the books, and that to me feels like a wasted opportunity. And uh, because it's all about these lances and the way it was described, and there's so much more you could do with it. You know, like the fighting and the the battle and the you know there's there's one moment where they describe um, you know a, a dragon got a good dragon got hit in the face with a lightning bolt. And so it's screaming and crashing to the ground, its head's on fire and the knight's holding on for dear life and Tasselhoff's watching it all go by. And like the, the chaos of the battle, it's riveting, right? Mm-hmm. It's really, really cool. And those types of visuals, I think Dragonlance needs more of it. We need more of that kind of stuff. Not just one hero, you know, the hero shot with the lance, you know, saving the day. I want to see... You know the cover of the book, uh, I think Jeff Easley was the painter for The Legend of Huma, and they reused yeah. it for other products. Yeah. But that that was such a wonderful painting. And yeah. it really, to me, like, I mean, oof, doesn't it, it just got my blood going. I love it. Oh, I want to sure. see more of that stuff. I want to see that giant lance and dragons being speared and capes flying and flames and all that kind of stuff. And uh, more good dragons. Mm-hmm. I want to see more of them because we always see the bad guys. But we rarely see the heroes, the hero dragons, and I, I've yet to see a gold dragon in a Dragonlance painting. You know, like there's one of of Gunther on top of a right. dragon, but it looks almost like a bronze dragon in Dragons of Light. Right. I think I think it's supposed to be a gold, but yeah, I mean, to your point, you're right. I mean, mm-hmm. there's, mm-hmm. I mean, ultimately, you know, when you you look at the trajectory of the story, it's you know, the dragon army is sweeping across the land. There's nothing mm-hmm. in its way to stop it, and it's only these tiny little companions, in fellows, who stumble mm-hmm. upon the discovery of the um, uh, uh, Dissamisha call to reveal that the the gods actually are around, and that gives everyone else hope to to try to unify and work together and and rise up against this insurmountable force that's sweeping across very Nazi Germany like mm-hmm, across mm-hmm. Europe. I mean, you know, you don't get to the dragon fighting, the really exciting stuff, until the good people of Kryn decide to abandon their biases and their bigotries and their racial hatreds and actually work together for the duration of this war, which doesn't very last very long. And it's only then that you actually get to have, you know, the, the dragons finally return because they realize what their eggs were being used for. They're being blackmailed by Tachesis. And, and so now we finally get good dragons versus bad dragons. And that's the exciting culmination of the story. But that's 
that's the end of it. You know, that's, mm -hmm, that's mm -hmm. not the heart of this story though. That is the exciting visual aspect of the story, you know, dragon V dragon combat. The real, I think purpose of the story is to show that it's possible regardless of where you come from to step up and represent others in a positive way and work together regardless of your backgrounds to do something whatever good means to you do something good together and I, I, ultimately i think that's the story they were telling not necessarily the minutia of the war i think if anyone rewritten rewrote these stories today it would be all about the war aspect and the dragon v dragon combat because that's the that's the titillating part of it you know that's the really mm -hmm. exciting bit but mm -hmm. the heart of the story i think would then be lacking because you don't get those moments where Tannis is yelling at Raceland or talking shit about him behind his back and then the next second turning to him asking for his advice. Mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm. you wouldn't get those really minutiae moments of Flint talking shit to Taz's face and then desperately terrified that he's going to die when a beam falls on him in Tarsus. Or you wouldn't mm -hmm. get those moments of Tannis mm -hmm. almost murdering Barum the Everman because he mm -hmm. thought that he killed his mentor his father figure in flint in god's home you wouldn't get mm -hmm. those moments of incredible heart that make us as the reader cry mm -hmm. reading them if it's just about the excitement of war you know mm -hmm. i mean you could you probably like, do yeah. like a i don't know like a saving private ryan moment but yeah <laughs> well it's about the characters yeah, and yeah. we love the characters and we follow them on their journey the war is happening um I would just like to see a little bit more of the dragon part of it, just yeah. to satisfy my. It's fun. It's awesome. It, it's fun. Like, but I, I hear with like the saga itself. I mean, like it's still going, and it's been what 30, 40 years. It's <laughs> yeah. going strong. I mean, here I am, still drawn, and I still have the same passion for it that I did when I was a kid. Right. Yeah. I love this stuff, and uh, so it it worked. Whatever they did, they captured lightning in a bottle, and it worked. Mm -hmm. And now we just want to expand on it, or maybe talk about the parts that they still have room to touch on uh like did you ever play the modules no actually no i, I not at all like i i own them i know them mm -hmm. i mm -hmm. desperately I'm, I'm actually planning on running them after i'm done running the new fifth edition module but i'm going to run mm -hmm. them in advanced Dungeons and dragons first edition like the mm -hmm. original modules but Ooh, no i've okay. never played through them myself i I same. <clears throat> I have them. Uh, well, I wanted to play them, but no one would play them with me uh, when I was a younger. Right? Mm -hmm. Like it was just it was too much. Long story. But anyways, one one summer, I had a lot of time to kill, and I ran through them the first six or seven. Just just roll. Just did it myself. Wow. You know, it wasn't role playing. It was just you know, yeah. okay, this is an encounter, and then rolling the dice and going through the encounters and and just going through it. I stopped at. Um, dragons of war after that one i mean i was wandering on the high claris tower but uh that's you know i ran out of steam at that point but yeah. and i did breeze through it it's not like i went through it <laughs> with a fine tooth comb but that's as close as i've ever come i would be really interested to hear other people tell stories about it how how their adventure played out differently from the books and i really enjoy the stories from the authors and how they talk about how some of the characters evolved based off of them playtesting the modules like yeah. Rastlin's voice or uh, you, that's a pretty good example or the encounter with Bupu 
and uh, yes. Zach Zaroth, right? Yeah. I love that. I, and I love how they took those elements from the game and they put it into the books and sort of canonized it. Mm -hmm. And I, I think that idea is, that's very interesting to me how it grew organically and it really gives a lot more um, validity to the story. You know, mm -hmm. it just feels realer to me. Uh, does, does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. You know, does, I love it. And I think about which parts of the story would I like to see again like I, I know dragons of desolation number four mm. the whole they go into the flying citadel inside a dwarven kingdom in the mountain that's just such a wild idea i love that idea and i'd love to see how did that adventure play out was that ever covered in the novels at all or some of the, the secondary yeah products? it was in in the lost chronicles um dragons of dis uh dragons of deceit Hold on, I'm, I'm, Dragons of Dwarven Depths is what I'm thinking of. Okay. So that's the novel title. But yeah, they, they talk about their entire journey of of migrating the survivors of Pax Tharkaz. We should probably move to video at this point and wind down okay. the conversation. But um, sure. going back... Do you want me to, yeah, let's, do you want me to cancel this? Yeah. Stop sharing my screen? Yeah, okay. let's do that. Um, All right. So they go from the... Uh, oh, they were just showing uh, Tasselhoff's uh, face and stuff. Uh, <laughs> migrating oh, the... Really dark finding now. safety for... Oh, yeah, it is. Finding safety yeah. for all of the survivors of uh, the slaves of Pax Tharkaz in Thorbarden. Mm -hmm. And then also, of mm -hmm. course, you know, uh, Raceland, Tika, and Karaman going off to uh, Skullcap, Skull Mountain, Skullcap, uh, Fisdanalus's mm -hmm. fortress. Mm -hmm. uh, and then ultimately, Flint finding the Hammer of Karas and delivering it to the Hylar leader in Thorbarden. Um, and yeah, they do the entire experience, the entire adventure going in there. Of course, spoiler for everyone who hasn't read or looked at the the modules at all verminar does not die in pax tharkaz he actually survives mm -hmm. and he renews his assault in thorbarden so mm -hmm. we have this great resurgence of one of my favorite high lords uh, verminar uh, following the people that got away and trying to exact revenge on them and then that's ultimately where he probably meets his fate but it's a great module and it's a great mm -hmm. story. If you've never re read it, I, I highly, highly recommend it. Um, mm -hmm. And ultimately, you know, it sort of plays on some of the tropes of, of what it means to have a connection with someone, what brings comfort to people, you know, like these ideas about Karaman and Raceland taking care of each other and, and how Karaman would do shadow puppets. And so then play testing mm -hmm. the module and they're talking about how, you know, in the depths of Thorbarden, you have all this, this light coming, emanating up from lava. And then, you know, Verminard and his dragon coming out. And then you would have Karaman saying, Hey, race, look, shadow puppets. And look at the bunny on the wall. And he would make a bunny shadow puppet with his hands to mm -hmm. reflect mm -hmm. on the wall and get a little humor in the game session. And that ended up being this th through line that was carried through with the characters in different stories and short stories and stuff. But it's the, it's the playfulness of it. It's the connection, the, the genuine care. And even if there's an overt sort of animosity presented between the characters, um, I think that module and that story brings out so much character development that is incredibly necessary, especially between, surprisingly enough, Sturm and Raceland who hmm. are set up as straight-up antagonists to each other, but it's that book that is revealed why Sturm acts so harshly to Raceland and the affection that Raceland actually has for Sturm and the respect he has for him. It's a beautiful novel. And it's a great I module. I have to read it now. Yeah, you, <laughs> I haven't read it. I've, I've, played the, I've got the module, but i got to read that now. I guarantee I, you. Uh, I, I, didn't know it was, I, didn't know, I didn't know about that. 
Yeah. Anyway, um, this has been a, a ton of fun. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm very, very impressed with your work. And I highly recommend anyone who has not sat through all of this and we did not filter through all of the images and stuff about DL6 Dragon's Device um, that he's worked on. But Mike has done a wonderful job of bringing to life a module that arguably is sort of, you know, sort of tossed aside by most people because they're following the heroes and companions over to Sylvanesty for the dream sequence of Lorak rather than focusing on the recovery of not just the Dragon Orb, but also the broken shaft of the Dragonlance, which is the first reference to a Dragonlance in an entire series called Dragonlance, which is kind of weird. So, you know, you brought up the, the idea of it before. Um, but definitely go check out his artwork. Uh, Mike, you're, you're a fantastic artist, and uh, I've had such a great time talking with you. We should, we should do this again sometime, just sort of hang I out would and just love chat. that. This is great. I'd love it. And thank you very much for your kind words. And um, anytime you want to talk Dragonlance, let me know. I'd be happy to do it. And if people enjoyed this and maybe there's something they would like to see or they want to see more uh, art, you know, we can draw and talk. Uh, I'm totally open to it. It'd be a lot of fun and uh, I look forward to it. Awesome. Well, thank you all so much for tuning in live. We really appreciate your interaction throughout the course of this conversation and, and just spending your Saturday with us when you could have literally done it with anyone else. It means a lot. Thank you very much. That is going to do it for the interview. Um, what did you think of his work? Uh, did you really like the, the sort of realistic take on these classic Elmore characters? Uh, did you ever play through the original modules? Let us know in the comments below. Of course, you can always reach out at info at dlsaga.com or again, if you're watching this after the fact, leave a comment. I would like to take a moment and um, remind you to subscribe to this YouTube channel, ring the bell to get notified about upcoming videos and click that like button. And all of that goes to showcasing other Dragonlance fans all of the, the, the work and production that is done on this channel, it goes to help us a lot, but more importantly, it creates a sense of community around something that there really hasn't been one in the YouTube space before. And I'm very proud of what we've all worked together to create here. Uh, this channel is all about celebrating the wonderful world of the Dragonlance Saga. Thank you very much for joining in that. Until next time, Slangevar.